everybody to an exclusive episode of The Sheriff. Guys, today is going to be a different type of episode. And the reason for that is I'm bringing in a character that was such a big impact in my life growing up. I would say from about the age of 13 to this present day, he was a coach of mine in Pee Wee and then turned into a role model and mentor. Every player has a guy, has a coach in their career that has obviously had a bigger impact than the average coach. He may have only coached you for one season, but then after that, he became a huge impact in your life. If it was, you know, getting you to the college ranks, OHL, whatever it may be. But when I think of these type of examples, ladies and gentlemen, I think of a guy like Eric Lindros. I'm thinking Dan Cameron. You know, he coached when I was in the, growing up in the GTHL, and I always heard that him and Eric Lindros, you know, they're thick as thieves. Those guys are really closely connected. He helped the Big E get to where he was today. When I think of a player like Mike Camilleri, I think of Lindsey Hofford, first coach that comes to mind. I know those guys are closely connected, and Lindsey had a big part in the progress of Mike when it came to the junior ranks. For myself, ladies and gentlemen, it's Kerry Durant. Kerry Durant is that guy for me, is that guy for Sean McMorrow. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce him, seeing how this is the longest intro in Sheriff Podcast history. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Kerry Durant, how are you doing tonight, my friend? I'm awesome, Sean, and it's uh, so great to, to be chatting with you, and it's certainly an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Well, I appreciate those kind words, buddy. I wanted to bring you on for the longest time because once this show, the Sheriff Podcast, which I'm so grateful to be a part of, you know, with my co-host Kyle Warner and our producer slash manager slash artist, Danny Granger Art, who's a huge part of this process. Um, once we got a little bit established, Kerry, you know, sometimes, you know, having hockey player after hockey player, to me, it doesn't seem like we're really getting out the message that we really want to get out. Like, yes, it's interesting. I'm bringing on guys that I want on the show, so they're entertaining guys. But I'm looking for a, what's a little bit more deeper. I'm looking for the hockey player's experience in Canada and how he gets to where he gets and what's involved in that. And that's why I wanted to bring you on the show, my friend. Like, I wanted to bring you on to kind of tell our stories to kind of tell the story of how we're connected, how close we are, everything that you've been involved with my career. But then I really want to get into your story, Carrie, because, you know, the listeners, once they find out, you know, why you're such a big mentor of mine, why you're such a big impact in my life, you know, I want them to, to really learn who Carrie Durant is. So I would kind of like to, to first start off, kind of mention how we met originally, which I believe was the recruiting process for the Wexford Raiders peewee team. Well, would I be right about that? Oh, absolutely, you're right. And, you know, it's funny because uh, when I was getting into coaching and uh, I wanted to get more serious, but I kind of knew that that was a path I wanted to take. I went to visit a gentleman named Andy Darvison who hired me at the Wexford Raiders, and they wouldn't give me a AAA team right away. They said, you're going to the East Enders and you're going to coach their underage program and you're going to work through all of this and that. And I thought, geez, you know, I got to wait another year to get there. But it was great. I was coaching the 1984 age group. And that year, the underage team that we had lost to uh, Carlo Calvacchio and his brother. 
um, they played for the Toros. We were the East Enders and we lost to them. And um, one thing I did learn from Andy Darvison, I went to visit him at his office when he hired me and he said, Kerry, the three things about coaching in the MTHL you have to know and you have to be able to do it to a T. And so I'm like on the edge of my seat because I want to coach and I'm like, okay, what are they? And he says, well, number one, Kerry says you have to learn how to tamper. And yeah. I looked at him and he goes, at number two, he says, you have to know how to tamper. And he says, number three, make sure you really do it well. And he says, that's tamper. I was like, okay, what the hell tamper? <laughs> I didn't even understand any of this, but I soon definitely learned uh, coaching in the GPHL that it was the recruiting league and you have to be a really good recruiter, not so much necessarily a good hockey coach, but you had to be somebody that could go talk to people, uh, you know, really get on the same level as them and make them and their parents understand. First off, the most important thing about any coaches is that you care about people and that you care about the players that play for you. After all that, then things come skill, learning the game and the whole nine yards. But yeah, we met that way and we were lucky enough is at that time, I just didn't think, and this is sounds going to, this is going to sound crazy to you right now. I didn't think our team was tough enough and big enough. And I said, I want that kid. That kid is going to make us go over the top. And lo and behold, you ended up playing for me. And boy, did, uh, did we make a big impact in, the, in, that, in that league that year, in the Pee Wee year. Yeah, we did. And like, we have a lot of listeners that played in the GTHL. And at the time that we're speaking of now was the MTHL. Now, I was part of the Don Mills group. I was part of this Don Mills group with Glenn Robeson. And, you know, we got to, must have been minor Pee Wee with that team and the team broke up. So some players were going to the reps. I remember like Scott McDonald and those guys went to the reps, you know, myself went to the Wexford Raiders. You know, I think a couple of us might've went to the Red Wings and the Nats and, and, and our team split up. And so the reason why I picked Wexford carry was because of what you're talking about right now was because I had never been recruited. Like I was a, like a professional player or, uh, of some sort. Like I remember the meeting that I had with you, man, and you were, you were dressed in a suit. You had your, like your, like, I don't know, like a booklet that I guess you had notes in and stuff like that. It was probably like your coaching pad or book or whatever you had. And then I just remember you like giving a presentation and it, it was a controlled atmosphere and you were right on point. And I was like, man, if somebody wants me this bad, I better go. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and that's what it was. It was me as a player feeling wanted and, and feeling comfortable and knowing that I was going to go to an environment that was, that was going to be really good for me in, in the point where you were also known as a little bit more of an aggressive coach. And a lot of the parents really liked that because they wanted their kids to be disciplined. You, you ended up getting in really good relationships with very a, a lot of the parents because it, it, like think about it on the parents end, Carrie. You got this young guy that has now changed your kid's demeanor, his attitude. He he's he's more he's more disciplined with himself. He's being on time for school. He's he's talking more polite to teachers. And and why is this? Well, he's got this new coach, Carrie that is always all over him and, and makes them do everything proper. And why don't we invite Carrie over for dinner? Like, like that's, that's how I saw how that kind of stuff developed. 
Am I anywhere in the area of, of being right about something like that? No, I think you're bang on. And I think it's all because, you know, you and I kind of had the same upbringing as kids. Um, you know, coming from a, a single parent family, uh, you know, after I was six years old, my mother moving us to Regent Park. And I'll never forget, you know, the day that we moved in. And my mother always taught me uh, very, very well. Um, you know, it's just that my mother stilled in values in me that, you know, that education was important. Relationships were important with people. And that, you know, the, the most prized possession that I would ever be able to have would be able to coach somebody else's son or daughter because they love their kids. And I, I think I understand that more now as a parent, because before yeah. when you're a young coach and you don't have kids, you don't get it. Um, but once you, you know, once you have a kid, that light bulb goes on and you understand parents a lot more. But you're right. I, I wanted what was best for all the kids because growing up in our neighborhoods, whether it was Regent Park or whether it's Scarborough, there's just some kids that never have a chance. They don't have a fighting chance ever. And I think, you know, we just want, I want to use hockey as a vehicle for every kid to have a fighting chance to have a future. And like you and I had always talked about, I said, Sean, you know what? If you ever make it to just the OHL and get your school paid for, and, you know, you get to do all these things, you're, you're beating the system because most kids don't ever even make it that far. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, 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 like, that brings up a lot of talking points. One that comes to mind is charts that I've seen lately on the actual percentages of kids even getting drafted to the OHL, then playing in the OHL, getting drafted to the NHL, and then actually playing in the, in the NHL. And we're talking, Terry, like, 0.0045 compared to 0.0012 or something, right? So yeah. you're absolutely right. And I like the fact that you brought up um, the, the area where you, where you grew up because that's actually right where I wanted to go with this. I wanted to introduce how we met, but I want the listeners to know, you know, who Carrie Durant is and, you know, Toronto is a really, really diverse city. Toronto is a really, really big city. And a lot of people don't realize is that if Toronto was in the States, we'd be the third biggest city. You know, we passed Chicago in population, I would say, five, ten years ago. You know, it would be New York, L.A., Toronto, right? Toronto is a huge city. You lived right in the thick of things, buddy, in Regent Park, which is an infamous area in Toronto. Everybody knows that. The majority of our listeners are from the GTHL, I believe, right? So when, when was it that when you first came to Regent Park, how old were you? And, and like, what, what was that like, Carrie? Like, um, I have to tell you, it was the scariest thing ever. Um, you know, obviously, I, I did, wasn't coming from a single-parent family. All the time, my parents were together. We, we moved behind Eglinton Square. I went to Clarely Public School. My parents were fine. There was, you know... My older brother, Kelly, uh, my younger brother, Craig, had just been born. He's a little behind us. My older brother and I are only two years apart. And then, you know, in the family uh, scope of things, the wheels just fell off. Uh, my parents ended up getting divorced. Uh, you know, my mom was uh, really afraid of my dad. My dad, uh, you know, I, I, even though I love him, my dad wasn't a very, very nice guy um, to, to my mother or really to us kids sometimes. Um, you know, my dad would... I'll tell you a little story about my dad. Uh, when my older brother and I would have arguments when we were kids, the only way it was resolved was us being sent down to the basement to put boxing gloves on 
to beat each other up. That's the way my dad solved everything. So, you know, as a kid, you look back at it, or even as an adult, I look back at it now, and I thank God I never parented my kid that way. But, you know, they got divorced, and I went with my mom, and she decided to, you know, go on mother's allowance because she was a stay-at-home mom and didn't have a big education. And I remember the first day I moved into uh, Regent Park, into the white side apartments, the windows were all broken. The, the They had to come, somebody had broken in, so they had to come fix it all and stuff. And, you know... Every day you went to school, basically, it was all cement from uh, Park Public School to my apartment building. And I'll tell you, I was one of the fastest runners in that neighborhood because if you, if you disrespected anybody, it wasn't good for you. And, and I just wanted to make sure I stay in the good side of, like, everybody. And the way I did that was, was going there and uh, obviously trying to figure out how to play hockey because that's what everybody did. That's where everybody went to the outdoor rink. I mean, it was at the time Emmanuel Jacques, the shoeshine boy on Young Street, had just been murdered. And actually, he was in my class, but unfortunately, he had already passed away, and I was in his class. So it was, it was very bizarre going there. It was a, you know, going from a suburban neighborhood into the inner city and looking at all these kids. I, 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 was, I was scared, right? So now, Carrie, like, like one one kind of thing I wanted to get into too is because, like, obviously, like you're a little bit older than me, right? And like, you know, I had my experience in my era of when I was a kid growing up, and you know, we were just talking about this, you know, like like before the recording and stuff, and how there was very, very, there's a very, very big case to say that the richer families influence minor hockey tremendously. Okay. Like I'm trying, I was trying to think of a way to, to say that. And I think that that's probably the most proper way. And for the kids, we see that like we, like I did, I knew that like as an adult, I could ask like my mom now, like about certain questions about, you know, times when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, you know, uh, what about Mr. So-and-so? He, he, he was, he, he, you know what I mean? I'd ask for certain questions, she'd tell me, and, and then I'd be able to confirm some things. But as a kid, like, I knew the parents that had the most money, and, and I, knew, I knew what was going on, and I was just a kid, right? And for you, you know, in, in one of the more lower-income areas in the city, even more than one that I grew up in in Scarborough, man, like, what was that like for you, knowing that whenever you went to hockey – you were seeing like not so much the shinny in your neighborhood, but when you actually got to play somewhere, just seeing what the other kids were, were doing and how, how big of an influence that was for them, you know, being from a family with money. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how you do notice as a kid, and even I noticed as a kid. Now, my mother could never afford to put me in hockey, so I was always at the outdoor rink, but eventually I did get in. I got into Avenue Road Boys Club. Um, I remember I played on a team, and my older brother played with Eddie Shack's son. They were on the same team because Eddie Shack was always at the rink, so we'd Clear be always track. Tr- trying to hang out with him, right? Because you know the big trash <laughs> and that he was there, and we were always wanting his autograph and that. But um, and talk about money. I mean, probably the best memory I have right now that I can recollect of of being a uh, like a younger kid because I didn't start playing until I was older. Um, you know, was going to Buffalo and playing in a tournament, and the guy that billeted. And I'm saying billeted because now they don't billet guys anymore when they go to tournaments. That would never be heard of now. But the guy was a lawyer and he had seasons tickets to the Buffalo Sabres. And wow. he took me he took me to the Buffalo Sabres game. And I had never, ever 
like been to like a professional hockey game before that time. Like after wow. I went to lots of hockey games, yeah. but at that very yeah. young age, that was one of the first ones. I think I may have been at one Leaf game before that, but that game at Buffalo, I remember watching. I think uh, Perot and them guys were there. Like, back, yeah, back in the yeah. center. So it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, man, and and that would have been in the old auditorium as well in Buffalo, yeah. Um, yeah. which which had the uh, the old xylophone and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> man, that that was that that that's that's some classic stuff to be able to experience a game in in some of those old barns. So I know exactly what you're saying. But yeah, so like I mean, so so then Carrie, so you know, growing up in Regent Park, I mean, obviously you you obviously fought for everything that you got. You were you're a very you were a very very tough kid, a smart kid. You know, obviously being the fastest guy in the neighborhood at at certain points. You know, you have to be like that growing up in some parts of Toronto, man. That's just that's just the reality, right? So now, I want to talk about at what point. Was there a connection to Scarborough? Like, like when did you kind of get over? Like, I know that you did have a little bit of a run, you know, with a, with a pro tryout with the Boston Bruins. So before the Scarborough, do you think that we might be able to talk a little bit about that, about the opportunity that you had there and, and your experiences with that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny. Coming out of Regent, excuse me, coming out of Regent Park, you know, and then eventually you go on and you go to, you, you do, I think you go to high school and all that stuff. Um, I just had such a passion for the game of hockey. I think it, I, I would be honest to anybody and tell them that if it wasn't for hockey, I'm unsure where I would be right now. I would say that I'd be more likely to be six feet under the ground than six feet above it. Um, yeah. And I think that hockey saved me because it gave me some sense of uh, being a part of a team, uh, being a part of a family. And the guys, they really cared about you when you were there. Uh, and it just, and you found a lot of common denominators. And see, the difference of today, that cycle that it all went through, is that back then, you know, we, we didn't see, I didn't see black and white at all. I just knew who my buddies were. And my buddies always showed up for me and I always showed up for them. And that was that kind of code of ethics that you went through. And yeah, you had to be tough, but you had to be smart and you had to be respectful. You know, um, there's a lot of good people in Regent Park. I don't think that people understand that. Just like Scarborough and Malvern, uh, there's this big misconception about Malvern that it's like the ghetto, and it's not the ghetto, man. There's some incredible people there. And, I mean, one family that I lived with after I got divorced was the Sullivans, Bradley Sullivan's parents. And I'll tell you, Greg and Carol Ann are just the best people ever. Bradley played at Wexford, too. He was one of my captains. And... You know, just the people I met in Scarborough and really how that old all connection, how it ended up later is um, my real connection was just going back there um, to Scarborough. Uh, I had lived near Markham and Shepherd later uh, in my life and just started to go around Malvern, played hockey there, started to meet people there. And I'll tell you, it, it would it, 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 I wouldn't be forgiven if I did not mention the, the kids that worked at Malvern Recreation Center, and I'm going to point this out, and I know maybe it might, may, might not be politically correct. There was these black teenagers, and they all worked at the Malvern Recreation Center. They did the pleasure skating. They did the basketball. They did the after-school stuff. These girls were in there. They're doing art with kids. And, you know... They did so many great, that recreation center did so many great things for people. 
um, for the community, for the black community and stuff like that. And everybody was like beating everybody down in Malvern like this. It was like this like shoot up New York City style neighborhood. And it wasn't. I, I, I lived in Malvern. Malvern was a great neighborhood. There's bad people everywhere in this world. It just happens that everybody wanted to highlight Malvern and Scarborough. But if you look at guys that are hockey guys that came from Scarborough, like yeah. people that are there, like yourself, Stewie and his brother, you know, yeah. Wayne Simmons, Joel Ward, Wordle. like all like all, all those guys, they are top Good shelf telly, yeah. guys that have so much Smith palette. Like it's yeah. like all the guys that were there and you know, you look back now and people go, oh, geez, those guys are from Scarborough, so Scarborough must be a good place. No, it was always a good place. You just didn't recognize it. You know what I mean? And we had yeah. a lot of fun there. A lot of fun there. Great, great point. So let, let me add to that a little bit. And like, and like, I love it, Carrie, that you just brought up the, the Malvern Recreation Center. Because, you know, when I had Anthony Stewart, like, now see, Chris and Anthony have both been special guests on the show, just like how you are right now. And with Chris, it was more about like, we did talk about the upbringing, but it was more about like how Anthony helped him in the OHL and then Chris's NHL experience. With Anthony, we talked about childhood more and we talked about the Malvern Recreation Center. And, and I, we, have, we have clips that we advertise for that show that are talking about the blue rink and the yellow rink, man. Yeah. And like, <laughs> so I'm telling you, man, there is so much NHL history coming through Scarborough, coming through the Malvern Recreation Center that yep. people realize. Guys grew up in those yellow and blue rinks in the Malvern yep. Rec Center. And, Kerry, and just to add to that as well, do you know what training camp I enjoyed the most in my whole life? The training camp that I had with a hockey team that I enjoyed, man. And I'm talking about NHL camps. I'm talking about everything. I don't know if it was because of my age or because of just the way it was put together or where it was. But, dude, when you coached me in Pee Wee and we had that training camp at the Malvern Recreation Center <laughs> – I don't know how you and Mike had put that together, man, but we had an, an on-ice session in the morning, uh, you know, off-ice off training. Then we would come in for the classroom, and I swear, Kerry, I don't even know what room it is in that building, but it seemed like it was like a university setting where you were like lower and you were going over stuff and we were all spread out in seats and we were higher up just like a lecture in a university man and like so so we went over like our plays and, and and what our mottos were and our mission statements and we had these notebooks that you guys put together and like i don't know if you like like of course you must remember all that stuff but man as a player i was 13 years old and and i'm telling you man like it was more close like a, a close-knit group and a mission we we were we were like scarborough's team okay and, and and we were like going to like battle all these big forces of red wings and and reps and you know what i mean like like it was a movement that you guys had going man and we did really well we beat those red wings early in the season we made some noise man and i believe it's the way that you that, that you prepared us man and, and, and it was such a diverse team. Like, like we had the, the Italian kids on the team and the Greek kids on the team. And then, you know, the, the, the carrot tops and, and our captain, Ofield, and, you know, myself. And, man, it was such a, a melting pot, man, that you guys, you guys created that. And, from, and we were a winning team, and it was a big success. And, and, and you guys deserve credit. And I think Mr. Walters helped a lot with that team as well. You know, Johnny's yes, dad. Yeah, was he the John, GM? 
John, Johnny's dad, Joe, was uh, was our manager, and uh, okay, you're right. Mike Head was uh, just a young guy. Him and his brother Jason were pretty good hockey players. Um, you know, was and he? It's, okay, so Mike yeah, Head was a player. Yeah, well, Jason and him, they played um, with the tough guy from Philadelphia at the Nats. Uh, they played all through, and they played a bit of junior hockey. They were really good. But you're right. I mean, that team was. It was almost like it was. It was Mike Camilleri, the Toronto Red Wings. Yeah, against the world. Everybody yeah. wanted to beat them. And, you know, Craig Clark... Steve Ott uh, was still with the reps, right? Yeah, listen, that 1982 age group, as far as I'm concerned, to, even to this date, is the best age group to come out of the MTHL, GTHL. Uh, Butch Ott coached the reps with Steven. Yeah. We had Bradley Boyce over at the Senators. The, Mike Camilleri at the Red Wings. Yeah. We had yeah. Richard Peverly at the Nats. Yeah. And you know what? We had our guys... And, yeah. uh, you know, it was such a good league. But remember, there was only, there was only uh, eight teams there was back eight, then. Was so there all, eight teams? Or? Yeah, eight teams. It, it was, it was, yeah, because there, yeah. no, there was no Vaughn Kings yet or any of them. Um, and exactly, it, uh, yeah. Vaughn Kings, no, no, you know, North York Rangers. And the hockey was unbelievable. You're right. You know what it was? I think the problem is, I don't know if it was a problem, whether I was blessed or not, but I believed I should coach the same way that I tried to play. And that was at 100 miles an hour, all the time, nonstop. One of my friends who coaches with me, Robin Onland, uh, he, he said to me one time, he says, do you coach every game like it's the seventh game of the Stanley Cup? He says, I don't know how you do it. He says, it's just, I, said, I don't know, energy. And, I, and your guys' energy, my energy, uh, I, I guess we fed off each other. And you're right, we beat the Red Wings early in the season. And, uh, and I never forget uh, Craig Clark grabbed Mike Camilleri by the, by the mask and was uh, giving him shit on the bench. And so everybody in the league went to Leo Camilleri because they thought, you know, you got to take your son off the team. And uh, I'll tell you, I've known Michael uh, and his family for a long time. Eventually he came to play for Supramily. Um, I will tell you this, arguably not, I don't care who argues with me about this, Mike Camilleri is the best hockey player that's ever come through the GPHL, the MTHL. Uh, his family is classy. Um, his parents are unbelievable. Sister Melanie, a great kid. And Michael was such a good hockey player and he was always humble. And that's something that's missed today. Everybody wants to pump their own tires. Michael would never say anything about himself. And when people talk to Leo, I, I remember Leo a lot of times getting so embarrassed that they said that his son, you know, your son's going to play in the NHL. Half the people in the league praised him. The other half just wanted to, you know, get Michael and try and strangle him, right? Because he would, you know, when he'd play against you and he'd get six goals and it wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't even sweat. Um, let me, I got to tell you a great story about Michael Camler. He came out to Mid Scarborough one night. I invited him out to play men's hockey with me. And uh, really? these, these How guys. How old would he have been? Uh, he literally, he was 15 years old. He was, he, okay. was, he was playing for us at Bramley. And I said, yeah. hey, listen, we're short a couple of guys. Can you drive? And sure. Michael really probably didn't really want to do this, but he came for me anyways. Anyways, we went out there. We were losing like 7-1 to these guys. They were like killing us because the team wasn't very good. We had a bunch of guys who had like, uh, you know, like I don't think they were any better than house league players playing for us. But Michael turned to me. It's the only time Michael Camilleri I've ever seen him do this. He, he turned to me and goes, do you want to win? And I said, Michael, you know, I always want to win. He goes, well, we're going to win this game. He scored 10 goals on them. The other team was <laughs> asked me, who, who is this guy? I said, he's 15 yeah. years old. They said, he's only 15 years old. I said, yeah, he's only 15. They said, oh, my God, we're going to see him in the NHL. That kid's unreal. We won the game. Michael's never played probably another game of men's hockey after that. Because right? <laughs> he obviously went on to this long career. But, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, just, a, just a classy guy. And, 
and uh, certainly his family, they're, they're awesome too. I just want to add a couple things to that incredible story, Kerry. So now with Michael Camilleri, that is what's missing these days. The humbleness of, of not only the family, but the player, okay? Michael Camilleri, I agree with you, hands down, best player, 1982 age group, 100% coming out of the GTHL, MTHL when we played in it. Now, the only time, Kerry, that I saw Mike Camilleri lose his composure when we were younger, you know what it was? When we beat them in Pee Wee, and, and you know what? That game... Was that game at Ted Reeve or was it at no, Scarborough Gardens? It was at Scarborough Gardens. It was at Scarborough Gardens. Yes. Yeah, I, man, I have this vision of a bigger arena like Scarborough Gardens, but I'm like, man, we played at Ted Reeve. So, so that was the case. We played that game at Birchmount and Kingston Road in Scarborough, yeah. Scarborough Gardens. And I remember guys like Joey Pizzalis finding the back of the net. We yeah. won that game 4-2. And Mike, being so such a competitive 13-year-old kid, he was so upset, Kerry, that he took, I saw him, he took a stick and he smashed his stick and <laughs> broke that stick. $100 stick at the time. That's the only time I've seen Michael Camilleri, classiest man in the world. And hey, man, he, he's got every right to be mad because he's a competitor. <laughs> but, but I'm being sarcastic. But that was really the only time that I've seen the guy like even lose it a little bit, man. Well, it's, it's funny because we all know a couple of things for sure. We know that anybody that lives anywhere up in Richmond Hill or Vaughan doesn't like to drive the Scarborough Arena. There are any guys that like to drive the Scarborough Arena. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, what, one thing about any hockey player when they want to win that bad, uh, I love guys who show emotion, guys who wear their heart on their sleeve. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we are all just blessed to be able to watch you guys play because when you look back on how good the hockey really was in comparison today, I mean, I still think, I mean, the game of hockey today, guys are fast, guys are lots of skills. I just don't think there's not very many guys with that much jam around. And when I talk about jam, I'm talking yeah. about guys that are, you know, they'll, they'll jump and do, like Cam Neely once said, he, he says, I, I jumped into a pit, uh, a pit full of snakes. And I came out okay. I mean, guys like that, you don't find yeah. guys like that anymore. And Camilleri was every bit as tough as he was skilled. But oh, because yeah. he was small, he was overlooked. As in the same for you, everyone said, you know, Sean, you know, geez, I don't know if he's that skilled, but, you know, he's the toughest guy in the league. And I said, oh, wait a second. I said, you know, it's different when you can put yourself into a frame of five foot seven, five foot six, like Mike was. I said, you try and skate around at 13 years old when you're six five, and you're going to find out how hard it is. <laughs> I said, you know, Sean takes two strides and he gets across the ice. And I said, his reach is so long that, you know, he covers a lot of ice really well. And I said, that's what's going to make him a better hockey player. I said, I don't think anybody's thinking that Sean should be refined as Michael Camilleri because I don't think Sean's going to go to the NHL and I don't think that he's going to score 30 goals. But yeah. I know one thing, I know there's going to be 30 guys afraid to get dressed. Yeah. They're not going to want to come out on the ice when he's there. So, <laughs> there you, um, you know, there's different things for different players and that's one issue that I think that's followed hockey and one thing that's played hockey for a long time. Everybody expects, they all compare themselves to everybody else. And players have to learn that they are who they are. I remember uh, Doug Gilmore coming into our Ajax dressing room when I coached. Uh, it was awesome that he came in. And when he walked in, I looked at him and I'm like, this guy's no bigger than I am. And he's yeah. like, he's 
he's he's like he's he's like an animal. Um, and he did he did say he said to our players he said you know God God gives you gifts that you're born with and he says you have to learn how to use them. And that's what I did. He says as you can see I'm not a very big guy and that but he had a heart of a lion. And to me I still think heart uh, will will win every time because I just think it's your will and desire to be there and that that's one thing I think that kids miss out on today because. There's a lot of entitlement today. There was no entitlement back then. No parent came up to me and said, oh, you can't do this with my kid. Parents just stayed in the stands. They didn't say anything. And right or wrong, I understand why it was like that. But they let us coach. They let us be coaches. And yeah, was I tough on guys? Absolutely, I was. Did I drop some F-bonds? I probably, one thing for sure, I taught more kids in Toronto how to swear than anybody. Um, (laughs) But if that's the worst thing I've ever done to a kid, I mean, yeah, you know what? It just, I think it's my way of expressing myself, and um, I don't think intelligence has anything to do with it. I'm just really passionate, and I want people, and I want players to be passionate about what they do. Like, don't come. And it's no different than my, my teams a little bit later than that. I had a team just recently in the last 10 years. They all started wearing these work boots. You know how you guys have that, you know, the kids, they wear those work boots. They're kind of dressy, and they're like yeah. probably $200 boots. Yeah. And finally, we had lost a couple of games, and I said, that's it. I said, nobody's allowed to wear any more work boots. And they're like, what? And, and they said, what does that have to do anything? I said, listen, let me tell you something. I work my fair share in construction, and I watch those Portuguese-Italian guys come through the gates every day. They, you know, they got their cooler, because that's their lunchbox. They get sent by their, with their wives with a cooler, not this regular Joe Schmo brown bag. They have a cooler, because they got watermelons. They can eat for like three months at work. <laughs> um, but they always wore construction boots. And I said, you don't understand. I said, this city and this country was built by people like that. And how dare you disrespect those workers when they wear construction boots? So I said, if you want to wear them damn things, you better come to work every day because we're not white collar guys. We're blue collar guys. And you better learn that real quick. So after that, they all wore construction boots. And we all started, we started like hammering the other teams. I think they, they did get the message from me anyways. Now that's, now that's a way to get through to your players. I know there's a lot of coaches, man, that are listening to this podcast. So that, that's some golden stuff right there. Thank you for sharing that. But listen, so what I wanted to add to kind of, kind of that era, like, you know, of the, the age group of, of the age groups that you were coaching is again, man, that, that peewee, that peewee team carry, like that, that was a special team. That that type of team helped me in my development because I, I'm telling you, man, there was something about the camaraderie that, that we were able to develop with that team. Like, I remember this one tournament. I think it was in the States. I think it was when we were across the border, maybe Buffalo. And then I remember who was the gentleman. Like, I know there was there, there was there was Mike Limer who was really tall, but but who is yeah. the defenseman? That was like built Alex like twenty five years old already. What was his name? Alex, Alex Kovachev. Kovachev. Man, I wish I could run into that man one of these days, man. Because that kid right there, Kerry. Because obviously we're thirteen years old. He reached puberty years yeah. in advance to that year, right? This guy was ahead of the rest of us when it came to you know development physically. And man, I remember that guy sticking up for everyone else on the ice in, in a little brawl that we got into with like an American team. And I just remember him just grabbing the guys because we're, we're, we're in cages, Carrie. 
and uh, Kolchak grabbing guys and just smashing them with his bare fist, hitting those cages and doing it all in the in the honor of the Wexford Raiders Peewee team from Scarborough. And and man, like I, I I've never seen anything like it before. Like just just the the characters that you brought together and everything, man. Like it was such a big deal. I I had to bring up that team, buddy. I know I keep going on about it, but man, no, it, that's it, a, it, that- that's okay, though, because, I mean, remember, that was a big year for us because we went to the World Peewee Championships, too. And that was a huge experience for us. I mean, that was a huge experience for myself as a coach. I mean, uh, like 10 days, you, the kids get billeted and stuff like that. And, you know, you're kind of free as a coach. Mike and I are roaming around Quebec, old Quebec City and stuff like that with the parents. And, you know, I, I, have to tell, I do have to tell a story about your mom. Your mom is the best dancer. Um, I'll never forget her uh, in the bar on the second floor, Ladago Bear, and and people were like, "Geez, you know, Sheila really likes to dance." And I said, "You watch her. When she gets going, she's get going." And next thing you know, we look up, your mother's standing on the bar. The place is packed. Here's this like over six, six feet foot. tall, blonde-haired lady, and she's just giving it up. And the people are like going crazy. And I hope your mother does not kill me for telling that story, but she had such a great time that night. We had such a great time there. I think it did a lot for you kids because it was the best hockey that we ever played. And I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I did some pretty crazy things as a coach, uh, you know, but I think one of the craziest things that I did there, I think we were playing Washington and we were playing them in the mall and they had that roller coaster in the mall. And yeah. the game didn't mean anything because we had already gotten knocked out of the tournament and stuff like that. So I said to yeah. my kid, I said, listen, and I was, I was kind of yelling at you guys. And I said, listen, I, I'm going for a walk. So I went up and I got on the roller coaster and I <laughs> rode while you guys were playing. And I, as, as I told the guy in the roller coaster, I said, hey, listen, every time, just let me stay on for like four or five minutes. So every time I yelled down from the roller coaster, you guys would change. And the other coaches looked at me. He goes, he goes is the other coach actually up there riding around on the roller coaster, changing the lines from up there. And so then I got off the roller coaster and come back down. But what a time we had in, in, in Quebec. We were rated, we were ranked eighth in the world at that time. That PUE team from Wexford comes such a far away because of the kids that we brought in there. And you're right. Alex Kovachev was, uh, was he, the only way I can describe him is when you've gone to work all day and your dog's got to go to the bathroom really bad. And you come home and you, you open up that sliding glass door and he runs around the backyard at like 500 miles an hour and then hits a tree. And then just stops and stares at you. And he ran over so many kids. And we were like, you know, geez, Alex, are you okay? Like, like I, I thought the kid probably had like 20 concussions when he played for us. And he's like, no, he says, but is the other kid okay? I said, I think you knocked him out cold. Like, I don't think he knew how to stop or anything. He just, just went 100 miles an hour all the time. And his mother was such a great lady. God bless yes. her soul. She passed yes. away. But, but he was like, he, he was 13. And I think she was like 85. Like, yeah, she, had she him, was like, older so than like, the other parents. Way, yeah. way older, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. I do remember his mom too, man. A shout out to, to I'm, I hope I'm saying it right. Alex Kovachev, 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 Kovachev. We had shout some guys. I hope he, I hope he gets to hear this, Kerry. Yeah, He's there was Joey Pachalis and all them guys, and Jason Wiles, and um, you know Scotty Oldfield was like the best captain ever. He was. Yeah, the best captain ever. It, I mean, that kid uh, was was awesome. And, and you know, and his dad coached the Leaside Kings. And his dad, so I used to go watch. He'd say, "Come watch our team play." And and Wardo Wardo was playing for the Leaside Kings. 
At so, the time. so, so what that was Brandon's team, right? The Mr. Oldfield yeah. coach Brandon and Brandon's probably the same age as Joel Ward, yeah. right? Right. Yeah, and they, and I think you know who else was on that team was Blair Morlock, who is Chris Kelly's stepbrother, who played for the Ottawa Senators wow. and the Boston Bruins. Yeah. Okay. Right. And another scar. Another scar. Bunch of Scarborough guys. Yeah. Another Scarborough connection in the NHL, yeah. man. Ben, yeah, like I mean, this is our our show is a lot about awareness, Kerry, and and we're 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 bringing out a lot of awareness today, man. Um, so I, a little bit what I wanted to add to the whole Wexford experience too, Kerry, was the fact that that team was built from scratch in order to make the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, which was a world Pee Wee tournament, international world tournament. You had to be, what was it, the top four slots in, in the uh, GTHL I think, I think a, then? I think it was, I think it was the, yeah, the top six that we had to be in there or something like that. And some, some years it changed depending on how John Gardner felt about, uh, you know, sending teams there. Was it really six? Quite, it was six teams that, that were I, able to I, go? I thought it was four. It, it could have been, you know, it, mis, it, it mistakes my memory, if, uh, but it could be, it could be uh, four. But just that it always depended on how, you know, how many teams John Gardner really wanted to send. Because as you know, after a while, yeah. right, I mean, the GTHL stopped going to get go anymore, uh, which is a shame because I think that is just, if you talk to any guy that's in the NHL now or any guy that had an opportunity to play in that tournament, that was probably like one of the highlights of, of their hockey career as, as a minor hockey player. I didn't know that. When did that happen? Oh, yeah, it's probably happened, uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years. Like, they just stopped. The Why? Were still saying, Why? Well, what, I think what happened was that, the, you know, the GTHL would always go and always win. I guess they got tired of losing to us all the time um, because, oh. you know, so basically John Gardner changed it. Then he was only going to send two teams, and then it was down to none and stuff like that, which is a real shame because, like I said, I think the opportunity for kids to go um, and see the outside world. I mean, Marion Gabrick played the year that you were there. I mean, yeah. some of the best hockey players in the world played there. And I think, again, that's another thing that hinders our process in becoming hockey players in Ontario and in Canada is, is that, you know, we always thought the States were no good. And then all of a sudden the States became real good at hockey and now they're beating us you know, yeah. at the world junior level and stuff. Yeah. And I just think there's, there's so much more outside. And then you always wonder, well, where did these guys come from? Um, these guys, uh, I remember trying to recruit Patrick Sharp from okay. Thunder Bay. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I remember going, taking drives to go get Alan Quine, who played for, played for me at the Junior Canadians and eventually ended up playing for the, the New York Islanders. Um, just guys that you would go. And then, then the opposite things too. And I'll tell you, like, it's, it's really sad. Like, uh, I'll tell you, like Rafi Torres and, uh, and Matt Molson both came to my hockey school when they were young kids. And I, you know, I ran a hockey school every Saturday again in Scarborough. I had all these people coming to Scarborough Centennial and that, and, uh, you know, they, there's so many people told Scott Matt's dad that he would never make it. He was too skinny. He was too small to this. And literally he had to leave Toronto to go play junior B in Guelph. And then the rest is history, right? Bang. Like Rafi Torres got cut. I was coaching you, you at the 82s at, yep. uh, at Pee Wee, and Rafi yep. was playing on the minor Bantam team. And his dad was coming, his dad was bringing him and his younger brother to my hockey school. And I'll never forget this about uh, Juan, because I love him, but I love Rafi's uh, family. 
um, they were ready to lose their house. And he couldn't even afford to come to the hockey school. I said, I don't care. Just come. Come for free. Yeah. I don't care. You're your kids. And he got cut by Wexford. And he was devastated. And I said, hey, listen, you know, I don't care. You just got to keep playing because I, I see something in you and stuff like that. The rest is history. Right? Goes on, uh, goes on, and has a great career in hockey. Uh, and because NHL career. There's, yeah. there's a guy that is, is, is cement. That guy is the nicest guy in the world, and he's tough as cement. That, that guy, he's unreal. Um, just a competitor, and you know. And then Molson, on the other hand, was a fairly highly skilled player. But kids like him, just his desire to play, his desire to play, got him there, which, which was awesome. So I think when you look at the whole of Toronto, yeah, we're a big hockey mecca. I still think we have a lot of lessons to learn and I think we need to be a little bit more humble. And we always say how we're the best at this and the best at this. I, I don't, I don't think we're the best. I don't think we're the best at developing hockey players. You know, a lot of players that hang on that GTHL wall never came from the GTHL. They came from outside of Toronto. We're just one thing we're good at. We're good at recruiting hockey players. That's how the league was built. And if, if you can't recruit, you're not going to be, uh, have a good hockey team which again is another misconception about hockey because really I think there was a lot of good coaches that, that didn't have good teams. They just didn't, they didn't want to go out and sell themselves. They didn't want to do this. And unfortunately being a good coach within Toronto is not only being probably a good guy who knows about skill, knows uh, about obviously systems about um, development, but also being able to sell the game of hockey and sell yourself. And listen, there's a lot of good car salesmen in Toronto that had really good hockey teams. And I don't think they were very good hockey coaches, but you know, you put a whole bunch of guys around each other. I mean, I remember Dan Cameron with the junior Canadians. I used to watch them practice all the time. They didn't even practice. They scrimmaged the whole year. They won everything all the time. You know, there's teams like, you know, with, 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 with Tyler Toffoli, with Smith Pelly and uh, you know, uh, Zach Hyman, they were out there. Those guys never lost a game for three years. And you know, the most ironic thing about that team, Sean, is that the number one draft pick, of the OHL that year was McFarland to Sudbury. And you know, he's the only one not playing professional hockey in the NHL. Wow. And wow. Zach Hyman and all these guys, they were like, yeah. you know, they were kind of like the, they, they were like kind of the side guys. And, you know, ask me how much uh, Zach Hyman's worth now in the NHL. And because of his determination, his hard work, same with Toffoli, you know, uh, Robin Mandy do, did such a good job with him. Uh, and, and, and Smith Pelly, I mean, here's a kid, you know, again, another black kid who kind of was fine, kind of forgotten about, but you know, maybe being black might be way better than what everybody else thinks. And I'll tell you one thing, cause it gave all you kids a desire to look at the world and say, you know what, screw you. I'm not going to let you knock me down. I'm going to let you pick me up. And I recognize that when I met you and I met all these guys when they were younger, they just needed someone to give them a chance because it, it was good. I mean, unfortunately, I did cut Wayne Simmons, and I met with him uh, probably about a year and a half ago, and he reminded me about it. But I, I said, Wayne, I said, you know, honestly, I said, I work at the OPP mop and floors for $27 an hour. I said, how much did you make last year? And he kind of smiled at me, and I said, see? I said, things are meant to be the way they're supposed to be meant to be. So good, good for him and, and good for everybody else. And, you know, Unfortunately, the more we recognize black and white, like to me, we're just all equal. We're all human beings. We all have the same feelings. We all bleed the same color. And really, we need to drop all these uh, borders and walls between everybody and just find kids that want to play. I don't care whether you come from Malvern and you're, or you're in Ontario housing or whether you have as much money in the world. 
we've got to make it a fair playing field for people. And, you know, that's where I'm headed to with what I'm doing right now in regards to, you know, raising money for kids that want to play, that, that, that need equipment and that just want to get out there and be, and I'm not saying everyone has to become a professional hockey player. I'm just saying they need a chance to play because hockey saved my life. And if I can save somebody else's life by doing this, I'm going to do it. That, I mean, it's just a passion of mine right now. Yeah. And Kerry, I, I think like, you know what, now that we're talking about it, I, I, I want to add to that a little bit and, you know, we can get back to the other talking point. So now we've got into the fact that, you know, how good of an area Malvern is and how bad of a, a reputation it can get and how it, it just seems like, you know, people, people are, are like you said with Smith Pelly, like it, it's like a second thought type of thing. Well, we're going to stop that because we have a rich history of hockey in Scarborough and we have a bunch of what they call OGs that are now all around and we just kind of need to come together and create the things that are already a foundation for the past 25 years. And I see what you're doing now, Carrie, and and I and, and I love it. And that was part of the reason why I think that, you know, because we've reconnected recently as well, right? Yeah. And I think the reason why that's happened, man, is because you're on this on this current mission right now. You're on a campaign currently to raise money for underprivileged hockey players to get opportunities to even be able to play, never mind everything else, just to be able to play, just to be given an opportunity, just like the people, the uh, kids have in the other demographics, right? So I, I kind of want to get into this now just because we started it. So now I also know that you're doing really well with your YouTube fishing show, my friend. Carrie, uh, the fishing guy. I don't know if it's a show yet, but I, you know, I had this crazy idea. I've always loved fishing ever since I've been a kid. And I thought someone's talking to me about it. You know, you talk to these kids these days, they know everything about computers and they're saying, well, you know, if you go on YouTube and you get, you know, a thousand people to describe, they'll start giving you money. Yeah. I said, really? I said, yeah. so I, I can go out my boat and just, you know, kind of screw around with my, with my cell phone camera and take it. So my friends and I have started to get really into it, but I've always had a passion for fishing. Always loved. like if I could be anything right now, I'd be a professional bass fisherman. And I have to thank a guy named Clay Dyer for that. He's a guy down in um, uh, a guy down in Georgia. Um, he's a he's a motivational speaker. Uh, and one day I was flipping through things, trying to find a way to motivate my hockey players. I said, "There's got to be something because everyone's bitching and moaning, and everyone's feeling sorry for themselves." So I found this guy, and I'm watching this thing. And I, I have to be honest with you, I watched this video. I started crying. And if anybody watches this video, it was put on by ESPN. They did a show on this guy, Clay Dyer, and. It's basically him and his bass boat, and he wants to get on the pro bass tour. He's never made the cut before. And uh, basically, they got this intro like you have on your show. It shows his boat doing it like a, a, a water tail as he takes off and that. And you think, oh, this is going to be great. And it says, take a good look at him. Take a real good look at him. And he walks down the dock, and he has no legs. He has no arm, and he has just an arm on the other side, and it's appendage. And he's a bass fisherman. And he ties his knots with, on the hooks and that, ties all his lures with his tongue. And wow. his brother helps him, goes on the boat with him. When his body needs to cool off, he throws him in the water and he pulls him back on. And he was born like this. And it's never, ever stopped him. So I took this video 
And I showed it to my teams and my team shit themselves. They were like, what the hell? And ever since that day, he's motivated me to be the best coach, the best person I can be. And, uh, and I said, you know, if this guy can do this, then don't any of you guys ever give me an excuse that you can't do something because if people like this are in the world and he's get, he, he doesn't have half the tools that you have and that, but he's got more courage than all of you. And that's one of the things about being a person. Uh, you can have all the money in the world and you can have, you can be big and have big biceps and you can do this and have fancy cars and be good looking. But if you don't have passion and you don't have guts, then you don't have anything. And you have to have a self of uh, kind of self-respect to go out there and live your dreams and not be afraid about what people think of you and stuff like that. Because I'll tell you over the years that I've coached over 35 years, I can tell you how many people told me that I deserve to be fired I should have been fired. I'm no good. And then I shouldn't do it. And I did everything that pretty much I wanted to do in coaching up to this point. Anyways, I've had such a fun time doing it. The people I've met along the way, I've met more good people than bad people. And yeah, there's bad people and everything, but that's, that's just the way it is. And that's the way it's just like, just like Malvern. Like everyone thinks people are, there's not bad people there yet. There are some bad people there, but listen, people say they don't want to go to Mexico because they're worried about going to Mexico and getting robbed. Well, listen, if you walk in the middle of uh, Jane and Finch at three o'clock in the morning and you're, and you're looking to tango with somebody, there's lots of guys there that are going to volunteer to tango with you. Like yeah. if you go on a hockey, you go on a hockey rink and call somebody a name. Trust me, there's going to be somebody there that wants to dance with you. So yeah. it doesn't really matter where you are. It's just the way you treat people. And the, you know, it's what you give is what you get. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I mean, it's uh, it's, it was an incredible ride for that. So the YouTube thing, I thought, okay, so I'm starting this, but it took a long time. I'm like thinking, geez, I only got 51 subscribers right now and climbing, but it's going to take me a long time. So I thought, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to get a GoFundMe page. I'm just going to start calling players, coaches, parents that I know, and see if I can get some money. Well, we've raised $7,000 in about six and a half weeks. And basically, I've started to do some videos now of delivering the money to organizations and that. And my first goal is $10,000. My second goal is going to be 25,000 and I'm going to keep going. And, you know, I'm hoping it doesn't fizzle out. I'm hoping that some companies get on board. I'm hoping that some people do. Joe from RYR uh, donated uh, some, some new pants, uh, some practice jerseys, and they're going to go to seaside hockey. My buddy, Brooksy, who basically I grew up in Brooksy's one of my brothers and Brooksy is a brother. <laughs> so he's just a great friend of mine. We, from 15 years old, I knew him and he's doing some incredible things for uh, the black community and starting that organization. And we're going to give them $500 too. Like I'm giving everybody, I'm trying to split the money up evenly between everybody. So everyone gets a little bit of taste. And I think if people see that someone's out there that cares, then maybe they'll care. Maybe they'll open up their checkbook and stuff like that. Maybe they'll give a little bit back. And I will say this, and you know, you and I, I know can, we could talk probably for the next seven days. Uh, you talked about parents having money in hockey. Um, I will tell you this. Has it damaged hockey? In some ways, it's put a huge dent in hockey. People um, just probably, you know, using their financial status to get what they want. Um, but you know what? As much as I could be negative about that, I will tell you this. I've also seen a lot of people, and we had, I'm not, I don't want to mention his name to embarrass him, but we had one person on that Wexford team. He knows who he is, an Italian guy up Woodbridge. He, he became my son's godfather and he did everything for our team. He did everything for the kids. Never once did he ever ask for anything. And there are parents that like that, 
out there like that that will will give everything and they want nothing. And their kid doesn't have to be the best on team. You know, um, let's face it, without parents, hockey doesn't go around. Without players, hockey doesn't go around. With coaches, without the refs, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, yeah. it's all, I just, I wish we could find some sense of normalcy without all the, the BS in hockey because there's way too much politics in it and there's way too much money flying around. And unfortunately, you know, not everybody, locks were only ever made for honest people. So the guys that are honest are going to do it you know, do a day's work and they're going to make a day's pay. But there's other guys out there that they, they just see my minor hockey as a cash cow and it's totally wrong because that's not what it was supposed to be about. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. A couple things I want to, I want to, I want to add to. So now, okay. So Carrie, you're inspired by this incredible, incredible guy that's able to do this fishing with the handicaps that he has which is phenomenal, okay? I'm inspired. I haven't even seen the video yet, but so I, I need to see this video. Wait okay? until you see it. It's good. Yeah, yeah, but I'm inspired already. You, you start this fishing show with your buddies, starts gaining some traction, and then it starts turning into something. You I mean, you did this to have fun and because and it's your passion, but now it's actually starting to become a platform and you're able to do something with the GoFundMe. Let's, let's make it clear of how people can help this situation. What is the name of the YouTube channel? What is the name of the show? What is the GoFundMe information? Well, the, the, the campaign is really all kids should be able to play. And it's a picture of me when I'm, I think it's, uh, I think 12 years old in a hockey uniform, the Avenue uniform. And basically uh, it, the, the YouTube, like you said, you got a thousand subscribers and I'll keep putting up videos, fishing, ice fishing, fishing doing out and it's just not just not really about fishing too it's more about mixing hockey and fishing because that's what i mixed i did i'm not a great golfer so i was like okay hockey and fishing for me and then you know the, the GoFundMe page is just it's you can set a goal you can go past the goal and if you go to you know all kids should be able to play at GoFundMe. you find it there you donate i send a thank you out to you and some of the videos that i'm going to be doing are you know some of the things where I I, I want to give back to those people like Joe at RYR who sent me that stuff you know he's got a company that has done some great work over time and uh, he's a good friend of mine he comes from a great uh, hockey town uh, Tomogamy Ontario there's a lot of good hockey players that come from the north and you know he he wants to give back too there's other people out there that want to give back and it's not so much about getting the notoriety and stuff like that. I mean, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I genuinely care about kids, their well-being. And let's face it, for the last two years, we've been, all of us have been all locked up, not being able. I mean, we've done this more than anything, like via video. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we haven't been able to watch hockey games and we haven't been able to, you know, do a lot of things and that. And, uh, you know, I look at the people that I work with every day in the OPP. I have so much respect for my boss. Tony Gabrielli, the people that I work with, um, you know, uh, they go out every day, they do their best job that they can do. They're great people and they're held to the highest standard. And sometimes I don't think them, the firefighters, the firefighters, the, the, the doctors, the nurses get really the kudos that they deserve because they're all trying to save people's lives. And the pandemic, whether you think it's a conspiracy or whether you think it's not, I mean, whatever it is, people are dying because of this and people that know. Yeah. And, you know, it may not hit home for you. You said, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm a lot older than you. I'm, I'm going to be 55 uh, on October 2nd. And all I know is that 
I think one of the biggest things in our country that I've always noticed is that the lack of us taking care of people that are older than us. I mean, look at all the people that died in those homes um, yeah. and you know, people that are forgotten or they're lonely. They don't have anybody to talk to. I mean, we might be one of those guys. I might be sitting in a wheelchair 20 years from now with no one around me and stuff like that. And I don't know if I want to be that guy and hopefully someone's going to care about me. So, you know, hockey, see how we've gone off. I mean, hockey can connect us to everything in life. It can yeah. connect us to our friends, family, connect us fishing, connect us, whatever it is. It doesn't matter where I go. Uh, I, I've been so many places in the world and it's funny. I've, I've met people in Mexico that I know people yeah. at, at, when I go up North, they're like, Hey, like, you know, I know you from hockey. And so hockey's a very small world and uh, it's a great world. It's, you know, it's, it's something I think that we can use as, as a whole platform to keep moving forward and do our positive. Hockey players are the best guys in the world. I don't care what anybody says basketball, football. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. No hockey players are the best guys. Hockey players give more than anybody. They're always willing to do, do things. And I think some of the guys in the NHL, like the Mitch Marners of the world, are doing some great things. When you see them go over and give pucks and sticks and stuff like that, it means so much to those kids. And that. And anytime I get an opportunity, um, you, know, you know, I consider this guy like, like some of my friends, like Lindsey Hofford, um, Sudarshan Maharaj. And there's another guy. When I say Sudarshan, Sudarshan Maharaj, Sudi? everyone looks at Sudi? Everyone looks at me and goes, <laughs> who's, who, who's Sudarshan Maharaj? And I said, well, he's, he's the goalie coach of the Anaheim Best guy Club. ever. And I'm like, they're like, and his name's Sudarshan? I said, yeah. I said, yeah, he's a brown guy. I, I, I get it. And you know what I mean? Um, Sudzy is uh, such an awesome guy. Um, and, uh, you know, every time he's got a chance when he's in Toronto, he invites me down. He lets me bring kids. They get to meet some of the guys in the Ducks. Um, when Zach was with the Leafs, Zach had all the time in the world for me, um, you know, to, to bring people down. And, uh, you know, I call, I call it Lindsay. Lindsay's always ready to hook me up with people so I can help kids out and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I just, it's funny, the people that you meet along the way, um, you know, and, and I know that we were going to, talk a little bit about my coaching and that, but I have to be honest with you, the, the guys that have impacted me the most, uh, Red Barrington, certainly as you had somebody that was your figure. I, when I met Red when I was 26, um, Red blew me away. He blew me away. He became kind of like a father figure to me. Uh, people couldn't believe how much he liked me. I don't know why he liked me. He <laughs> let me sit in his office. He gave me the key to his house. Um, it was just a relationship that I had with Red. I have so much respect for that man, not only as a hockey coach, but as a human being. He's such a great human being. And when I met Lindsay Hofford, Mike Camilleri's dad, Leo, took me to meet Lindsay at pro hockey. And that pro hockey helped pole vault you, and it helped yeah. pole vault so many kids mm -hmm. to where they wanted to go. I mean, we had some really good teams, but Lindsay really was, um, he impacted me a lot. Um, he was really tough on me when he first met me. And, uh, you know, he made me such a better person. He made me such a better coach. Lindsey Hofford was way ahead of his time, and he still yeah. is way ahead of his time. He, he yeah. was an innovator. As far as I'm concerned, he's the best coach in Toronto, probably the best coach to come out of Toronto, and just his mind for the game and what he taught me. And that coaching staff, uh, Sudzy is another guy that is just over, over the top, off the charts, smart about hockey. And Steve Mercer, um, 
that coaching staff, uh, that will go down in the history for me. The coaching staff that I coached there paved the way for me to become such a better coach in the future. And, uh, you know, a shout out to those guys. Uh, I miss them all the time. I don't get to see them that much. Um, but we're always on the phone with each other, talking to each other and stuff. And, uh, you know, their, their careers, two of them went off in the NHL. Steve and I kind of stayed like the regular Joes and just got regular jobs and stuff. So, but I don't envy them at all being in the NHL because I know it's, it's, it's not only tough to get there, it's tough just to stay there too. So. Of course. And hey, buddy, this is, this is absolutely perfect because I really wanted to get into the Bramalee era. Okay. And reason being, Carrie, is because, I mean, obviously you were my coach in Pee Wee. You know, we, 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 I went to all your skates in the summer after that year, even after you stopped coaching me, and we kept in contact, and we were on summer teams, prospect teams. But when I got to the Pickering Panthers, which you also were a big part of setting up for me, because you want to, like, as a player, like, like, yeah, Carrie, I had the size, you know, I was a decent defenseman, you know, I, I had potential, so I was going the OHL route because I was a big player, and that's how it used to be. But you still have to be put in good situations because there has to be so many components that line up, man. And me going to Pickering, being 10 minutes from my mother's house, being able to go to St. Mary's Catholic High School, which was five minutes from the Pickering Recre Recreation Center, you know, having guys like you know, Toza Kronilovic, you know, living just right by Cardinal Leger. And, and he was like, you know, a couple years older than me, able to, he went to West Hill High School in Scarborough, able to give me rides. And then, you know, be like, it was, it was such a good experience. And I'm so glad that I was on that Pickering Panthers team. Now, we played a really good team in the playoffs. The Bramalee Blues, we won the eastern side. The eastern side was a lot weaker than the western side. But the kings of the west were the Bramley Blues. And, and that's what I really wanted to talk about. This incredible program, Kerry, that you were a part of with Lindsey Hofford, Sudsy, and everybody else, man. And, yeah. like, I'm telling you, man, there, was, there will never be anything like it, and there was never anything like it before it. The program that you guys had, the players that you guys had, that little barn that you guys turned into such a classic junior arena. Man, I, I remember, what was the gentleman's name, the captain of the team that looked like he was a 45-year-old construction worker? What was his name? Well, actually, actually, he, he looked like he was 100, and he looked like Phil Collins because he had no hair. And I asked Lindsay, I asked Lindsay the first time I stepped out on the ice with the kid, I said, who's the, who's the kind of overweight kid? And he goes, he's our captain. And I looked at Lindsay, I said, he's our captain? And I thought Lindsay was joking with me. And, I, and he goes, no, no, he's our captain. He's really good. And I said, okay, what's his name? He says, Kyle Amiot. And I go, Amiot. I go, wow. that guy's our captain? We played Streetsville the next night in an exhibition game, and I think he scored eight goals. I yeah. looked at Lindsay, I go, I think I know why he's our captain now. That guy could put a puck anywhere. But you're right. He, 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 looked, he looked, seriously, he looked like he could have parked in the handicapped spot when he came to the rink. That's how old he looked, right? Yeah. And he came, but such, such a great kid, such a great son. And his dad, ye God rest his soul. I mean, the French guy through and through, like just so awesome. And those guys loved, those guys loved. And he was such a good, believe it or not, he was such a good role model for all those. Our team was young. I mean, when you think about it, 
we had we had Steve Eminger. Steve Eminger was only 14 yeah. years old at, at that yeah. time. And Stevie was like on the Red Wings. And, and, and his brother John came to the team. But, but Steve, you know, he was picked in the first round by the Washington Capitals. I mean, that kid was a stud. I, when we went to the Royal Bank Cup, everyone wanted to draft him then. And he was way too young for even the, even the draft <laughs> at that time. Um, but, you know, we had Barbieri, Camilleri. Um, you know, it's, we had a, a, a Kino, like, geez, his, his, his feet move fast. He was like the roadrunner out there. I mean, and, and the Pierce brothers were just, they were just scary, those guys. I mean, their dad did drywall, and I think they did drywall every summer, and they just, they beat the piss out of everybody. I mean, it was, yeah. and, you know, there's some, we got to tell a story, though, about, honestly, not the whole story, about how you, I mean, it's very interesting how we got there. And I'll tell you, this is how good of yeah, a guy yeah, Lindsay is. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is how, that's how good of a guy Lindsay is. I went to Lindsay after the first year coaching with him and you know, me, I thought I knew everything and really I didn't know anything at all. Um, but I, I said, Lindsay, I said, I think I'm ready to coach. And, uh, he goes, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, there's a Bowmanville wants me to come and coach there and they're going to make me the head coach. And I want to be a head coach. And Lindsay's like, Hey, you know, go spread your wings, do what you got to do. Like I completely, it's like, he was so good about it. I go there and I bring five guys with me. I get to Bowmanville, like is you, Mark Wires. And yeah. I get there and the owners tell me, they go, you know, we want to hire. They have this press conference. They, <laughs> they, they put me in the paper and do all this stuff, but I bring you guys with me. And they're like, we don't want any guys from Toronto. I'm like, what? I said, I got to get the, these guys got to come with me. I said, your team's not that good. I said, we need these guys. Like these guys are, these guys are like a plus players. And I said, and, this, and I said, your, your team's not very tough either. And they're like, what are you talking about? We had the toughest guy in the OHA playing for us. I said, you do Where is he? Yeah, he goes, that's the guy out there. So they point. I said, well, I don't think he's that tough. I said, you see that, you know, the, the, the kid's 15 turning 16. I said, he's the guy. They said, that six-foot guy? They said he can barely skate. I said, oh, yeah? I said, I'll be right back. So I got up and I walked down the stairs. And I'll never forget calling you over. And I said, as soon as they dropped the puck, I said, that guy's 20 years old. I said, go beat him up. So you skated around. You told the guy to go to the other side of the ice. <laughs> The guy just looks at you. They dropped the puck, and I don't know what you said to him, but evidently he tried to punch you. And I didn't even remember his name because I don't think he ever lasted that long. And two punches, he was laying on his back on the ice, and he was at. And so the owners of Bowmanville walked over to me and they said, "You're fired." I said, "Why?" Because my guy beat up your tough guy. So that's when obviously we all left, and I had to go back to Lindsay and ask him for my job back. And he was gracious enough. And lo and behold, we ended in the Royal Bank Cup that year, which everything was. You end up at Pickering. And when I spoke yeah. to the guys at Pickering, they needed they needed a right defenseman, and I just said, "Hey, listen," I said, "This kid has got Oodles' amount of potential." I said, "You're not going to find." I said, "I really actually even hate to give him to you because at the time Lindsay had already filled the roster for Bramley, and yeah. I said, "You're getting as far as I said as far as I'm concerned, you're getting the toughest guy." I said, "I think he's going to have a high, high draft pick in the in the OHL." I said. Whether he makes pro or not, I don't know. But I said, I think he's got a real good shot at playing in the American Hockey League. And I said, he's a legit heavyweight uh, as a kid. And I, and I know that's not great to talk about now because now when I look back at everything, you know, you know one thing as a coach, because God knows I wasn't a very good player and I got hit in the head a lot. And I know sometimes what how my head feels in the morning. So I can just imagine guys like you and uh, other guys who had to fight every day and you know, I have a really good friend who passed away. Kelly Thompson played for the Memorial Cup uh, with Corey Perry and that, and he was their yeah. fighter. And that's a whole other story for the day. But I sat and talked to Kelly, and I never even knew Kelly played hockey when Matt 
into Bartlow, uh, my best friend and I, we've been best friends for six or seven years, hockey coaches together and stuff. And he, he introduced me to Kelly and I had a couple of beers with Kelly and he's doing this chew and he's kind of overweight and I'm thinking he's coaching North Toronto against me. I don't realize that he's coached the London nationals to a, to a championship for the first time in like 35 years. And he's this hockey guy and he's, and I'm like, I start picking his brain about hockey and he starts talking to me and he's like, yeah, I was like a tough guy in London and we won the Memorial Cup. And I'm looking at him, I go, you are? He said, dude, you know, taller than I am. But Kelly was fearless and unfortunately, you know, he's passed away now. Uh, God love him. Uh, I think about him all the time and just the stories that he told me about knowing that he was going to have to fight before every game and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and have to go out there and do this and, it just it left a pit in my stomach. And when I think about you and I think about all the guys who ever fought for us uh, that knew that they were going to fight. It's one thing about being out there and you're in a battle and you get into a fight because I've been in some of those before. Yes. Um, Heat but, of the moment. But, but yeah, because your adrenaline's already going. But yeah. to sit there before you play uh, two or three hours before a game and you know that's your job. Uh, I have to hand it to you, buddy. I, I, don't, I don't know how you ever did that. I don't know how guys like Barnaby, Shane Corson, all these guys, all these guys that ever fought in the NHL, how they ever geared up for that. That's something. Because I know just in a regular fight, if you're in a regular fight in the school and everyone brags about it all day at school, like, oh, yeah, you know, this guy's going to fight this guy after school. And every mic, it's all this big hype. Like you're sitting in class, you're looking at the clock going, oh, geez, I'm going to have to fight in about 25 minutes, right? And it's like the scariest thing ever. And I'm thinking now, you, and, and there's like only like, like maybe 20 people will show up. They want to see you get your ass kicked. But here you are in an OHL rink. And bang, it's like all these people are watching. Then you're in an AHL rink, an NHL rink, and you're watching all these people uh, do it. So the whole thing with you going to Pickering, I knew you were going to have to fight. I knew you were eventually going to have to fight against us because you guys were a real good team. That ended up happening. You ended up fighting the Pierce brothers playing against. So here I, here's a kid out there that I coach I care about. Here's other kids I coach. And now they're, they're basically fighting and stuff like that. And it, it was just the craziest thing to watch you fight against us. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was Kerry, but like, but, but, but just to add to a couple of your points, I mean, dude, that's the way it was back then. You know what I'm saying? The yeah, fighting was a really big was. part of the game. It was a big part of the game. Like, I remember talking to NHL scouts when I was in the OHL and them saying, so you're playing London next week. You might want to fight that John Erskine, see how you compare to him. You know what I mean? Like, it's an yeah. NHL scout, Kerry saying this to me fight John Erskine because he's supposed to be the toughest guy in the league right this yeah. before I got to London and and so you know what I mean that was a part of the game and you know obviously we've gotten away from that point but we can't we can't not recognize that that's the the, the tools that guys had to make to get there and like to answer your question about that anxiety and, and, and the referral to the, to the school and counting down those seconds. You're absolutely right, my friend. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of guys that did the role like me on this show personally. And the common theme that I keep hearing, Carrie, and the common theme that I find myself repeating when people ask me is that we just wanted to be on that team so badly that we were willing to do any means necessary to be there. Yeah, that's that's the common theme. These tough guys are the guys that love the sport the most because they weren't good enough to be at that top level unless 
they were willing to do what we're talking about right now, right? So I totally agree with you. That's what it totally is, agree. buddy. But that's but like why, that's why my respect goes out to. Uh, and again, as far as I'm concerned, I'll argue with anybody. But you know, God rest his soul. I still think Bob Probert was the best tough guy the NHL's ever seen. Not only could he score 30, played an all-star game, but that guy was out of his mind. And it's too bad that he was taken from us uh, at such an early age. And, uh, you know, because watching him play and watching his movie was very, very sad. Um, that the fact is that he, he died so young and he lived his life. I mean, the guy had a lot of fun. I met him. He had a lot of fun. But unfortunately, a lot of fun at the expense of dying too young. And uh, but so I know that it's just a it's a crazy job to have to do. And to see the fights that you've had over the years, I you know I've watched them, been at games, and you know it's funny because as a coach, you think, oh geez, what are you gonna tell this? What are you gonna tell this kid as he gets older? And I remember you know going to the draft with you, and you got drafted by Sarnia, and you called me before the first time you ever played. And you're like, I don't know what to do. And I tell everybody this story. I said, just go jump in the other team's bench and beat the shit out of all of them. I said, the whole league's going to be scary, and that way everyone won't come near you and stuff like that. And the same thing, I rem- I'll remember like yesterday, you called me, Kerry, most exciting time. I just got called up to the Buffalo Sabres by, from Rochester. That they're playing the Leafs night. Who should I fight? And I said, stay away from Ty Domi. His head's as hard as a rock. And I said, he's too short to fight. And I said, he'll get inside you. And I said, you got, you got to go after uh, you know, B-Lack or one of them. So the whole night is funny because you've interviewed Don Cherry before and the whole night, th- those guys just talked about you. Ah, you know, again, Sean McMorrow from Scarborough, he's a tough guy, you know, and he's, he's going on and it's like, it was like, it was kind of like your 15 minutes of fame and stuff like that, which was oh, yeah. unbelievable. And I have to tell you, you know, Sean, I'm going to give you a lot of kudos because listen, there's so many guys out there that live the dream of being a hockey player and you only played one game in the NHL and you played one game more than any of us guys have ever dreamed about it. And to me, I think that just getting there, just that, uh, you know, road that you traveled to get there, you did everything that you had to do and you should be very proud of yourself um, because it's not easy to be an NHL hockey player. You, as Peter Zezel once said, you're just a public piece of property all the time where everybody wants a piece of you, which is totally wrong. Um, you know, it, it's like doing anything. To be the top at your profession, and just think about it, you made the NHL, so how good are all the other guys? How good are all the guys? And Mike Camilleri, you know, was the best player that I had ever seen come through hockey when I was a coach. Yeah. And, and there's guys in the NHL that, are, that, that were better than he was. Like, how, 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 good, how good is Sidney Crosby? You know, how, how good are these other guys? And I won't mention McDavid and all that, and I'll tell you why I'm not going to mention McDavid, even though I've just mentioned him. So it's kind of counteractive. But, you know, there's one thing about players being real good and highly skilled. But there's one thing about players being highly skilled, not only at the game of hockey, but at the game of life. And I think when Connor McDavid uh, eventually gets to play with Canada, with guys like Crosby's of the world, he's going to learn that part of the game. And you notice all the captains that won Stanley Cups in the last while they really went through a lot of stuff before they became great hockey players like Mark Messier, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky. They had to learn a lot before they won. And I'll tell you one thing. One thing that I learned from hockey with Bramley was when we got to the point where we had 
played you guys. You guys were the kings of the East or the kings of the West. And, you know, Milton was our big nemesis and stuff like that. Yeah. Milton Merchants, you know, right? Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know. I, I thought, you know, are we going to win this? We got the youngest team in Canada. Um, but we got the best coach. We got the best coach. So we got the best coach and we got a lot of talent. So we have a chance in that. And I was kind of on the fence about whether we were going to win or not. And I'll tell you, after we walked, after, after we beat you guys and we went on to win the Dudley Hewitt Cup, it, the, the one series that changed me as a hockey coach was a series in Rayside Balfour. The friggin' bus was late for the game. And we get there, the rink's packed with a whole bunch of people for a hate on for Bramley. And okay. by the time that series was over, they loved us. Um, I, I went out and those guys were out there skating around the warm-up. And at that time, I think you could have unlimited 20-year-olds. Every guy had a half visor on. Every, every guy had a full beard. For Rayside Belfort? Rayside Belfort. And, and, and I'm like, I'm scared now. And I'm, I don't even have to play. <laughs> right? And I'm yeah. thinking Michael Camilleri and these guys. Oh, my God. These guys are so young. They're going to go out there. We're, and we went out there. And our will to win took over. Our skill level took over. And we beat them four straight. And after that, I really? believed we could do anything. And that year that we went to the Royal Bank Cup and that year that we lost to BC, um, you know, on the power play, a shorthanded goal against us. Again, I'll argue with anybody. We were the best team there. If we had to play a seven-game series against anybody that year, we were the best team there. We had the most guys go on scholarships. We had guys making the NHL and stuff like that. We, I think the team was really well prepared. Um, it was just not in our fate at that time. And I'll tell you, I never watched a bunch of kids. You think you like, you look at kids. I, I remember guys that were 20 in our team, guys, 19, those guys crying after losing. And yeah. I think the, we may have lost, but it turned them into men and it yeah. turned all of us coaches into way better coaches. I got that. I got that taste of, of, of that really what it was really like not winning in the GTHL because the GTHL, you know, it's great to win there and that, but to win at that level, to win an all Ontario championship, uh, a junior A was, was something unbelievably special. Um, and so winning to me, I don't think you have to win all the time because you have to lose to become a better winner. But once you get that taste of winning, it's great that you can take that and you can help teach other people that. And that's what I've done with people saying, Hey, until you win, you don't know what it's like to feel like to win. And yeah. so we won that year, but we lost, we lost that big series. But after that, after all the coaching I did after that, one thing I pride myself on is teaching guys how to win and win and not win, not win at all costs, but win because you want to win. And if you lose because you worked real hard and it was, that was just in the cards, that's just the way it goes, right? Because you can't win all the time and that, but uh, I mean, no one likes to kiss their sister and no one ever wants to finish, you know, no one ever wants to finish second. We all want to finish first and hockey coaches, they all have egos and we all want to win and we all want to think we're the best. But at the end of the day, um, I never got into this because that's what I want to do. I got into this because I wanted to, I wanted to give another kid a chance to have a fighting chance to make sure that he didn't, you know, his parents, just because they were on mother's allowance or whether they were on welfare, whatever it is, there was a chance to be able to get at that. Because I got in trouble as, as I got older and I got into some hot water. And thank God, um, a gentleman named uh, Roger Crawley, um, his son Dion played for us at the Red Wings. He helped me out and uh, it changed my life as a person. And I'll never forget him. Um, it's just, it's, it's something that 
hockey does for you. It instills some great values. And look what it did for all the kids in Scarborough. Look what it did for all the kids in Regent Park. It instilled values in all of us that, you know, being a part of a team, it was something special. And that dressing room was sacred to us. It wasn't, the parents didn't need to know what was going on. Like us guys stuck together really well. And yeah, I mean, unfortunately, or fortunately, I was, a, I, we had, we had 21 guys on Bramley. I think I was a 22nd player because I would get on the ice and want to play with them and that, because it was just such a thrill to be there and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, Lindsay and Steve, they, and Suzy kind of took more of a backseat. I was always out there screwing around and taking shots on guys and trying to body check them. But when us guys did go on the ice, us five coaches weren't bad. And it's amazing because when people see you skate and they see you do things and you're coaching 10 year olds, and people say to me, they go, man, you're like, you're, you're actually pretty good. And I said, yeah, could you imagine me if I was 10 right now, how good I'd be? I'd be like <laughs> five foot nine and 10. I'd be the best hockey player ever. So <laughs> I said, it doesn't work like that. You kind of have to grow up at some point in time, but it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Dude, but that's, that's the reason why that Bramley dynasty did so well though, Carrie, because you guys had so much, many aspects of what like, professional teams have as far as the coaching staff went like you got a guy like Lindsey Hofford I mean Lindsey Hofford I mean hands down will probably be one of the best coaches in the history of hockey like I don't know what's going to end up happening with Lindsey but I mean people just need to know the systems and, and just the way about the guy goes the, the way he goes about things like he, he's a professional top-notch coach and wherever he gets an opportunity he's going to flourish like we both know that but then yourself, you're you're a professional coach, but you're a lot. You're very hands-on. You like the battle with the players, as far as in the drills is what I mean. You know what I mean? Yeah. Actually, being a player, like like how you mentioned. You know what I mean? Sudsy, buddy. When I met Sudsy, I felt like he was like a Hollywood director. I mean, the yeah. guy. I mean, I mean, I mean, no homo. The guy smelled great. He, he yeah. looked good, feel good, play good, man. I mean, the guy was just like a star, man. You know what I mean? You got star power like there. I didn't really get to know the other gentleman that was on the staff, Steve but Mercer. I only heard his name was what, Carrie? Steve Mercer. Steve Mercer. I didn't really get to know Mercer as much as the rest of you guys, but man, I only heard great things about him. You guys had a, you know, hands down incredible staff, man. You guys went so far. The amount of scholarships, like you mentioned, that came out of the Bramley Blues, Lindsey Hofford and yeah. Carrie Durant's team. Man, I, I, I would compare it to any other program at any other time. You guys got a lot of guys to college, man. You guys got a lot of guys to the next level, period. You know what I mean? And that's really what it's all about, Kerry, is just trying to get to the next level, trying to progress as a player. But in order to get that progression, in order to get to all these levels, you got to have an opportunity to play. Now, yeah. I know that in your coaching career, you've gone from – you know, coaching teams like the Ajax Axemen, you know, Bramley Blues, you're coaching all the different levels in the GTHL, but especially AAA. I know that, Kerry, I know that you're the most winningest coach in, GTL, in GTHL history. What I want to ask you is, do you feel that you may be the most winningest coach in GTHL history? Well, I don't know if there's ever been a stat on that or not. I know that I've had uh, an unbelievable run, um, great opportunity. And I don't know whether the wins and losses, how I would put that up to it. I'll tell you what I will. i tell you what I, where I think I am the most winningest guy. I helped a lot of kids get to where they wanted to go. And those kids also helped me get me where I wanted to go. 
And so many kids have gone on to things and, you know, I'm proud of every one of them, whether it's you, Mike Camilleri, or other guys that have gone to the NHL, I have to look at all the other kids because as we, we know, we talked about, there's such a small percentage to go. But I mean, I just talked to Andrew Letterman the other day. Andrew Letterman became a doctor. He went to Harvard. Um, you know, his dad was the pivotal one who introduced me to Red Barrett because his dad was the professor at the time in wow. facial reconstruction at the University of Michigan. Um, I come across guys, I mean, Scotty O'Field's a, an elevator uh, mechanic now. I mean, it, this is the sad thing about me. Is the sad thing about me. So many kids have played. Probably over three, thirty-five hundred kids have played for me in my lifetime. And I, I would need, I would need a show like a month long to talk about all of them. I've met some really incredible people. And even on this GoFundMe thing, you know, the first thing I did, the first person to donate was Landon Brown, one of my players from my night hockey team. All my players on my night's team, the '97 guys. They're all at a cottage. They've all stepped up. Um, you know, guys like Jeff Fly, Rob Coletta, um, you know, Jamie Watson, like all those guys, like all those guys, they've all stepped up for me. Um, uh, Jim Sinclair, uh, who's a guy who came out of the North. Jimmy's a great guy. Um, you know, all those people that I have so much respect for, uh, I gave them an opportunity and they gave me an opportunity. And now they're paying it forward. Now they're seeing what I'm trying to do. And every time I call an old player and ask him, hey, listen, do you think you could throw a couple of bucks in a pot? Bang, it's there. I mean, Lindsay called me and said, hey, you know, we do a lot of stuff, um, you know, for Robbie Nacarato's charity. Uh, Robbie was my captain uh, of the 1985 Von Kings, who unfortunately passed away in a car accident. And Tony was held the golf. Yeah. Um, Tony's held the golf tournament every year. And, uh, you know, Lindsay and pro hockey development, they give a lot of funds and stuff, do a lot of stuff for that. But then he reached out and said, hey, you know, we can come up with a hockey school here or there to do for you. Like, people are always trying to do things. And, you know, the winning and losing, I have all these trophies in my office, and I look back at them, and the only people that really care about them are the people that won them with me. Um, It's just a symbolization of that. I don't think they could ever describe the relationships I've had with people. And when I walk into a doctor's office, I mean, I went to get, I went to the dentist the other day, and the dentist was my manager of my team when Stu Hyman hired me to help run the Toronto Penguins. This is his kid that played for me. He's now my dentist. It's <laughs> insane. You know, and, you know, and so it's no different. I mean, and Stu Hyman's another guy, you know, uh, Stu is such a, a great guy, a great person, a great family, man. To me, he got so screwed over. What's going on today in hockey with all the money flying through? Stu only ever took out of his pocket to give to people. He never took anything from anybody. They slammed him in the papers. They kind of ridiculed him because he had the scouting service. Uh, and, you know, and Zach, Zach, uh, I mean, I, I had an opportunity to coach his second oldest son, Spence, who's a, a great guy. And now he's the assistant GM in Markham, uh, along with Mike Galati, another one of our players from Bramley. All our guys are all coaching now. Um, yes. But, uh, you know, those guys, they're, they're just good people. And, um, you know, I'm I'm glad for and very happy for Zach Hyman. Um, I mean, there's another thing too. Like I, I never really got to coach Zach a lot. He skated with me. Same with the Foley. They skated with me because they were all around Stu and I when I was coaching Spence. And here's yeah. Zach committing to Princeton, and the coach leaves and goes to Penn State. They start oh, a wow. hockey program. Stu calls me. Goes, what am I going to do with my son now? So now I'm on the phone to the University of Michigan talking to Red, and I said, you know. 
what do you think of Zach Hyman? They, they said, we think he's a stud. And I said, I think he's going to be a hell of a hockey player. And I said, uh, you know what, if you want him, I can deliver him. And they were like, really? And so the story goes, bang, Zach plays four years, graduates uh, with honors from the University of Michigan. And, uh, you know, everyone know, in Toronto knows who Zach Hyman is now. And Zach sure. Hyman just got there on hard work. And he played on a team. He played on a team where he was never considered that best player on the junior Canadians. He was kind of that afterthought. And now look at him now. Um, and, and same with those other guys. Like, you know, Toffoli was real good too and stuff like that. But all of a sudden, bang, he hits his stride in Ottawa. And all of a sudden now he's becoming, um, you know, this, this hockey player. And he's had the best year of his career. And, but just all good people. Like all those people I mentioned, Smith Pelly's family, the Stewart family, like all them guys. And, you know, the, the, the first black coach in the East Coast, uh, Jason Payne. My God, I remember watching him when he, was playing, when he was playing for Wexford. There's another guy. Like, these people, before you can even be anything in hockey, you have to be a good person. You have to yeah. be a good person and willing to give. And that's where I come back to Stu. Stu always gave. Stu was by far one of the nicest guys I've ever met. I was so happy to coach his kid, so happy to work for him. That guy opened up more doors and gave me more opportunity. Uh, same with Lindsey Hofford, opened up doors. And it's all because they're good people. They just want, they want to do what I do. They want to help. And they see me. I was passionate about it. Like I, I would be at the rink every day. And, uh, you know, uh, when I, my son Riley started playing, it really helped. I mean, I got, we got to, took Riley to meet Michael at his first game in Toronto playing when he played for oh, yeah. LA. Uh, yeah. And Riley was always in the dressing room with us in Ajax. He was always, you know, later. I mean, I, I for God's sake, I mean, I had him when, uh, we had him when I was coaching Bramo. He and we were on that run and that. So he was just a baby. So unfortunately, he didn't really get to remember. So he met Mike and them guys uh, later. But it really did a lot for my son, too, because I got to lean on these people. And he got to speak to a lot of NHL guys. I mean, uh, because of uh, Jack Johnson, who I ended up becoming good friends with at Michigan, he took me uh, and my son to, uh, to Magog, Quebec. And my son got to take a friend of his. And uh, they got to sit. And I spent the whole day with Sidney Crosby. We had to talk to Sid and um, hang hang out, and uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's just so many things. Uh, Bob Yor, uh, I got a call from Darren Ferris and the guys, Dave Bodanis, who ran a charity. Riley got to spend the whole day with Bob Yor, do a photo shoot with him for a charity for autistic kids. Um, wow. Stu Stu invited me down when he had the opener for the Hamilton Red Wings, and lo and behold, his guest there that night was Gordy Howe. And okay. Riley got to take a picture with Gordie Howe. And sure I not. met Gordie Howe before that. Yeah, you know, funny story about Gordie Howe. I was in Lake Placid playing in some kooky men's tournament. And uh, we got into a brawl with another team from Toronto. And <laughs> I don't know how it ended up happening. But for some reason, I was in the other team's bench fighting this guy. And uh, I just felt this big hand on the back of my neck. And he says, son, do you think you've had enough? And I just turned and looked. And it was Gordie Howe. He had his hand on my neck. I'm like, yes, Mr. Howe. I said, I think I'm done now. Him and Lefty Wilson were the guests of Can-Am Hockey. And they did these speeches at nighttime and drank beer with us. And here he was. He's on the bench breaking up fights and stuff like that. But like, what a gracious guy he was, too. I mean, like I said, hockey has afforded me the opportunity to meet so many great people. I am so thankful for it all. And, uh, you know, but I will tell you this. The hardest thing about coaching hockey is not about getting on the ice not about doing systems, doing video. Um, the hardest thing is really, and I don't want to get emotional, is going to a kid's funeral. 
six kids that have played for me over the over the years have passed away, and uh, you know both of our goalies from Bramley have both passed away. Uh, T.J. Assetti and Nathan Marsters, uh, Robbie Nacarato, um, the other boy, uh, I believe it was Matt Culloden, um, and just you know no one wants to bury their kids. Um, and no coach, uh, I'm going to go to the golf tournament for the first time since Robbie's passed away on the 30th of September. I haven't had the heart to go back there. Very hard to face all them people, uh, knowing what Robbie meant to me. I spent so much time with his father, Tony and him. We were like a family always hanging out in Vaughn or Kleinberg at pro hockey. Them guys taking us, uh, you know, to all these Italian restaurants. I think I gained like 200 pounds when I coached for Bramley. I was like 145 when I went there. I left at 245 because of all these places we went to eat. Um, it just, it was just, it's, it, it's hard. And I think about those guys all the time, where they would be now, what they would be doing. Um, and even some coaches that I've coached against, they passed away in the GTHL. And uh, those guys you never forget about. You wonder where they would be today in their coaching careers where these players would be because they were all good people and uh, you can be gone in a blink of an eye. And that's why I hold hockey pretty close to my heart and the experiences I've had for the people I've met, the people I've got to be involved with. And even all the people I've been pissed off at and had arguments with, I love them too, because those are the people that drove me uh, to be the person I am. And because uh, there's always somebody that wanted to knock me down. There's always somebody told me that I wasn't good enough. And uh, those people motivated me more and uh, drove me to be the person I am today. So, you know, I might not be an NHL coach, but I'm very proud of what I do for the OPP. I'm a part of that team that does a lot of great work, and uh, I'm proud of the people I work with, and uh, and I'm proud of my friends like Sudzy and Lindsay who have gone on to the NHL, but I'm also proud of all the other coaches that are out there. They're just trying to do the same thing I did. They just love the game. They just want to coach. They want to be around kids, and they want to give back. Uh, and so... We, we do it. And as long as you show up every night, just do me a favor. If you're going to go to the rink, just show up. Because if you don't show up, I don't want you there. And no one else wants you there either. But you got to show up. And when the bell, I always told you as a kid, Sean, I know you're going to be a fighter. And when they ring the bell, you better come out with your hands up or your hands swinging. Because if not, you're going to get the shit kicked out of you. And uh, your career is going to be over. And it, it only takes you to lose one fight on the way up to be done. And that's oh, yeah. the toughest part about that. You got to win every time. It's, you got to win. Like you can lose a hockey game and be okay, but if you don't win a fight, then you know you gotta you gotta you know, and that's why some of those guys in the NHL they fight two and three times, or they come out of the box and they want that rematch, right? Yeah. They they ain't going home, you know, kissing the other guy's ass in front of sixteen thousand people. That's just no good. One hundred percent, man. And and I gotta tell you, Carrie, man, like there's there's yet to be an episode since I started this show, the Sheriff Podcast where we've been able to get in depth into these type of topics. These are the type of things that the hockey community, we really need to kind of address. We need to talk about from talk comes awareness, comes the action. I've talked about this with a couple of my guests and, and that's why I appreciate what they brought to the show because Nothing's really going to change. Nothing's really going to happen unless the awareness comes, which the action will follow. So I want to go over a, a, a few things here. Now, I've explained to everybody that Kerry Durant, huge mentor of mine, biggest impact 
from my life, 13 years old, other than my mother, an adult for an adult, impacted me going forward in my hockey journey. You've had an incredible coaching career where I would say there's got to be a lot of other players that could say similar things, the things that I'm saying right now, Kerry, because that's the way that you did it, and that's how personable you got with some of these families and whatnot, okay? So now, not only did you have all-star type seasons as a coach at the junior level, but you dominated in this MTHL slash GTHL. Now, we all move on from things in our life. Now, since the GTHL, you know, the things that you've done, Carrie, what you've built with the OPP, just, man, it's something to be very, very proud of, right? This fishing thing is a bonus. This fishing thing is a passion. And now that you're tying it into the hockey and doing for the better good with the GoFundMe, that's what's really juicy about it, my friend. Okay? So we got people listening to this show that are probably just loving every minute of this carry. They're loving it. What I, I just want to, to magnify exactly what it is that me and you are trying to do at this point of our lives these are two guys from Toronto that were, were – now, Kerry, I know that you're an OG as far as the Scarborough scene for coaching. When you took that first Wexford job, that was the beginning of a movement. There is now a rich history of NHL players graduating to the National Hockey League through the Scarborough system that Kerry Durant and others started, Okay. You had the impact on myself, Sean McMorrow. You helped me so much, bro, through my, through my journey, and I thank you for that. Now you're on this mission to be helping kids that were just like you, my man. That were just like you in Regent Park. Your mom had no money to sign, pay registration. Are you kidding me? Right? So yeah. now you're trying to raise money. Yeah, please go ahead. Like, like I just want to magnify this a little bit so the listeners can really know what's happening right, right now. Well, I think, you know, it's it's funny because we do look at back at days, especially guys like Spence Curtin that was with me along the way and other guys that, uh, you know, really just want, they was there. I mean, Trevor Daly. Trevor Daly and I are actually related through marriage, believe it or not. Um, but I remember Trevor when he was a young kid and, you know, guys, a uh, real good buddy of mine, Donnie, who always was taking care of uh, Trevor all the time. Um, you know, it's just the fact is I think as you get, on in years and you realize how much family means to you, how much your friends mean to you. And you look back on what we said, my, my, my best friend, Matt's always saying this. He says, you know what? We got it. There's gotta be a discussion about this with the black community and how they've been overlooked with the Aboriginal community and the things that have happened there and the whole nine yards. Like I get it. Something bad has happened to all of us. I mean, I've, uh, through this whole time that I've coached, I know we'll get into it probably on another show, but I've lived with my struggles too, um, you know, with the Maple Leaf Gardens thing and stuff like that. And I've, you know, overcome that. It's always going to be in the back of my mind. But, you know, that's one of the things for me, you know, when that happened to me as a kid, uh, the biggest thing that was there, there was no one there to protect me because my father had gone AWOL, my mother was just trying to raise kids, and then, you know, being put in a children's aid for eight or nine years and living with different families and stuff, it, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of, it's like, like, like Rain Carnegie said it best when he was on your show, you know, it's like either fight or uh, flight, right? So you, yeah. you do what you got to do. So just now that I never, I never had the opportunity to be able to, to do this 
for people financially because I was busy trying to make money and, yeah. and work, work odd jobs and coach and run skates and do all this kind of stuff. But you know, now I have son. a stable job. Yeah. I raise my son and, uh, you know, have a family. And, you know, now that I have a great job, um, now that, uh, you know, at my time at near 55, I'm okay. I'm not going to see the suit line anytime soon. I'm certainly not going to be buying a 45 foot yacht either. Um, but, <laughs> but now, uh, I do have some respect from people in regards to being a hockey coach. I have people's ears. If I can use hockey as a vehicle to help somebody else's child get ahead, then I'm going to do that because forget that what, forget what hockey did for me and I did for hockey, you know, as like an individual for me, it's an even swap. I got lots. I gave lots. Great. Um, but, um, one thing we all, uh, owe to the game, all of us, every one of us. So anybody who's listening, if, if, if you, if you've been in hockey and you've had the opportunity where hockey has done something good for you, then you owe it back to the game. You owe that kid, you owe that family, you owe it to them to make sure that you help them. We all know that people are more fortunate than other people. But not fi- just financially, but just going up to somebody and talking to them at a rink, just going up and, and, and putting your arm around and say, hey, listen, you know what? It's going to be okay. I've, I feel that so many phone calls. I used to talk about 8,000 minutes a, a month on my phone to families. Well, my, yeah, my kid got looked over and this and that. And, and like, you got to keep persevering. got to keep persevering. It's, it's, not, it's not easy. Life's not easy. And if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth it anyways. And yeah. that, so you just, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know what? Um, Every, we all have our we all have our cause. We all have the homeless. We all have you know people overseas starving. We all have that. Yeah. I can't yeah. I can't change the whole world. I don't pretend. No. To. Claudio Memi once told me. He says, "Kerry, stop trying to be the pope." He says, "Because you can't convert everybody." He <laughs> says, "You know, just try and do your own thing." So I'm doing my own thing, um, and this is my thing. I, I want to be able to do that. I mean, I'll help anybody in any way they want. It. Just like you, or just like a lot of guys. You know, we would give the shirt off our back if we seen somebody walking across the street and they needed something. But here's where I have an in, and here's where I can make an impact. So if I can do that by sort of, uh, you know, asking people for donations, whether it's five, whether it's ten dollars, it doesn't matter. I mean, I've had some unbelievably people step up, and you know, I, I have to mention Heather Watman. Heather Watman. Uh, was hired by Stu Hyman to run the Scarborough Malvern House League. She ran the House League. Here's a woman. You want to talk about, you know, everyone's looking at a woman in hockey going, okay, what are you doing running a House League? Her and Carol Ann Sullivan ran it. Then she went on to buy the Penguins. Uh, She is probably one of the nicest ladies I know. One of the most, she, she just, she just bought a business, is trying to build a business. Um, she she's long divorced and it's not like she's got money growing on trees. She sent me a thousand dollars the other day because that's how much she believes in. And, and trust me, that was just the tip of the iceberg of what she's given to hockey. I mean, she should be put up on a pedestal for what she did in hockey in the Scarborough area because she ran Scarborough Malvern uh, house league for Stu Hyman and her and Stu put a lot of people in good places. Um, yeah. So there's just people like that and guys like Frank Longo and, you know, other like it just there's just so, there's so many people that have, you know, reached out to me and said, here, this is what I got to give you. And but to me, again, it doesn't matter whether it's 10 cents or whether it's 10 million dollars you give me. I mean, we just try and do whatever we can for kids. And 
it's uh, it's just a, something that I, I need. It's driven for me. No one needs to tell me to do it. It's something I'm driven to do and something that I want to do. I could be doing a lot of other things. I love to fish, so oh, I get yeah. to have a lot of fun. And the guys that are in my boat with me every week, they're all older guys, and they come from different nationalities, and we have a hoot. I try to tell them stuff about hockey. None of them know anything about hockey. I mean, a hockey puck could hit them in the head, and they wouldn't know it. But they love the stories. They 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 love this what I'm doing now. They're watching all the videos and they're going to watch this and listen to it and stuff. And, and yeah, it's a lot of, of fun to do. Uh, it's it's a hobby I love. We get to do it and I get to raise some money at time. And you know, um, I just don't want it to be like Rain Carnegie talked about and all these other guys talked about. Let's stop having conversations and then putting things on the eighth page of the news, like these. These kids that, that like, and I, and I feel for these kids because I know from my own experience what it's like to be abused and, you know, what it's like to be put through the ringer. And my story became eight page news. No one cared anymore. You know, no one cared about it. Uh, it was just a fight for myself and the fight for my older brother who was abused also. Um, and for the black community and the Stewies of the world, the Brooksies of the world, um, you know, and all these guys, Wayne Center, like they're all trying to reach out. You're trying to reach out to people. Don't let this become eight page news. Let's keep fighting for what we believe in, equality in hockey. And again, not just like about quality in your race. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care how you identify or like, I think they've made such a crazy thing about this. I don't, I, I remember all of us kids, none of us, none of us guys as kids and none of us as a coach has ever cared what sexual orientation you were. I don't even know why they even talk about that because one, Stu Hyman said the best, when you put on hockey equipment, everybody looks the same. Yeah. It does not matter. Girls are just as important as boys. Boys are just as important as girls. And if you fall in between of that, that's great. I mean, you know what, who really cares? That's not what hockey's all about. Hockey's about putting your shit on and going out and playing a sport. And it's not just a guy's sport. It's a woman's sport. It's anybody's sport. I want anybody to be involved. I want all new Canadians to come. Uh, you know what I mean? And look at hockey and go, geez, we can get involved in this. This is great. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like the Asian community's done a great job getting involved in hockey, the East Indian community. You know, um, it's, it's just a great thing that everybody wants to get involved. It brings people together. The best the best times I had besides those, you know, Bram Lee days and the, and, and the Wexford days, like when I coached the North York Knights, Jeff Bly and them guys made our bus trips incredible. We did some crazy stuff. I'm t- and I'm not crazy stuff. Like I'm not talking illegal that they're taking us to the club. Yeah. I'm talking about we'd be on buses. Instead of going to restaurants, they would be bringing barbecues on our bus and we would be having big team parties outside and all the parents would be outside there you know, drinking and stuff like that. And we'd be eating and having a great time. And we spent time together as a team. We created our own family atmosphere. And, yeah. you know, at the night, uh, I'm so proud of what I accomplished there because when I went to the organization, I was only supposed to be there for a year. I spent eight years there. And, uh, and in that eight years, and I'm just going to toot my own horn for a second. I ended, up winning, I, I, ended, I ended up we ended up winning, like, uh, I coach a lot of teams. Sometimes I coach three teams a year for them. And uh, we ended up winning, like, like I won, like, 16 craft cups when I was there. Six times we finished first in the GPHL in eight years because of all the teams. We won five city championships. We won the back-to-back silver sticks. Um, you know, the 05 team I had, um, basically, uh, you know, they lost 12 games in five years. 
They were phenomenal. And the guy Jeff Bly that I was with, he literally he just bought the uh, he just bought the the Guelph Storm in the OHL. Oh, that's the guy that just that's yeah. the new ownership group. Yeah. So I spent eight years with Jeff. He's such a phenomenal guy. Uh, um, and you know, and the guys on that team, the guys on that team, and you want to talk about uh, just you know the success as coach. This is my success. Here I coach Double A. I I leave Junior A, leave Triple A. I'm back in double A because a friend of mine, Tony Vetcher, asked me to come and coach. I'm like, I don't want to coach double A. Hell, but my kid played double A. I seen what the hot, it, like, it drove me crazy, right? Because I'm such a competitive guy. Get back in it. Families are unbelievable. Have such a good time. And uh, I, I ended up taking a bunch of guys. I mean, not a bunch, but I took some guys from my Knights team to the Rebels. Um, and uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Ronnie Morrison um, at the Rebels because he's, you know, the guys who run the Rebels, such a great organization. Um, and the other gentleman's name mystifies me right now. The, the guy who, who runs it with him, just great guys. Um, Dylan Bly, Jeff's son, came from there, played double-A his whole life. Um, yeah. uh, Jagger Watson played, and ja- Jagger Watson, by the end of the year, was our best hockey player on the team, like, all around, because he had come from double-A. Uh, a kid, you know, I have to talk about Patois a bit. Patois is a kid that played for me. Um, you know, I can't say enough about this kid. This kid played for me at, uh, in double A and was the best hockey player in the league. I think the kid had like 200 points, right? Jeez. Benjamin Patois. The okay. kid was unbelievable. Finally, I had to kick him off my team. I Why? literally kicked him off. I had to kick him off the team I, at the end of the year. After we, I said, listen, told his dad, Mark Hen, I said, Mark Hen, he, he can't play here anymore. I said, okay. he's too good. So you okay. got to go. Like, yeah. yeah. And Martin was like, yeah, I know. I said, well, no, you got to go. Cause if you don't leave, I'm cutting you. Yeah. Like, you're taking your kid and going somewhere else. He went on to play for the rebels, small kid, pretty speedy. Everyone had him written off. He wasn't going to get drafted. He was so worried about getting drafted. He got drafted in the fifth round in the OHL. And, uh, when the COVID hit, he, he called me and said, I like, I'm thinking about going to the U of S. Um, you know, to a prep school. And I said, I, I think that would be a wonderful idea because they're still playing down there, they're not playing here. And he goes, yeah, but I really want to, I really want to get drafted in the OHL. And I said to him, I said, who cares the OHL? Who cares about the NCAA? I said, just go play hockey. I said, because if you're good enough, they're going to recognize you. And yeah. he says, yeah, but I, but I got to go down there and I'm, I'm going to be the youngest guy in the team. Like I'm going to be yeah. playing with all grade 12. Like I'm a grade nine. Yeah. And I said, but are you the only grade nine there? And he said, yeah. So Anyways, make a long story short, he, he went, he had an unbelievable year. He called me, he called me the other uh, night and, uh, you know, he told me that he just got uh, a division one scholarship Northeastern. So he's out of anybody, anybody in the GTHL, the 2005 draft year, there's a lot of first rounders that went and stuff like that. Um, he, uh, he, I think he's one of the first guys with a, with a, with a scholarship. So, wow. you know, good for him. I mean, Dylan Bly, again, got drafted by Flint. No one ever expected, him, you know, a kid to do that. Jagger Watson never got drafted. And I'll tell you this, Jagger Watson should be drafted because he was that good of a player. Um, and they, he got overlooked because they didn't play last year. But just the people I spent with there at the Knights uh, were, that meant a lot to me. Uh, Bullock's son, Ryan. I mean, uh, all the kids that won championships with me, those kids. I hold very close to my heart. I could name all of them, but we only have so long for a show. But uh, just the guys that put in time. Uh, my goalie coach, Jimmy Hibbert, 
who spent the last pretty much seven, eight, like he, Jimmy's such a phenomenal guy. He reminds me so much of Sudsy. Uh, they he? have such a, a incredible same style in that. Um, like I said, I would need like 10 shows to thank everybody that's ever done, but just the kids, the kids, when I pass by them at the rinks, when I pass by them at the bar now, it's crazy because guys like you were like, they're calling me like, yeah, I got three kids now. Like, I feel like I'm a hundred years old and I'm only going to be 55 because I started when I was pretty young. Um, yeah. So you talk about, like I said, go back to the wins and losses and why do this. I just do this because it drives me because I want to make sure that I create more memories. And all those guys that are coaching right now that played for Lindsay and I and all them guys, guys that uh, that now you call up uh, Daniel Siska's coaching, uh, Dave yeah. Benicio's coaching, Anthony Dianak. I'm sure Camilleri is going to get into coaching. And yeah. All these guys. All I'm hoping for is that they do what we did for them, even guys like you and guys, you know, you guys never get into minor hockey and going on the ice like Stewie's doing it. And, and listen, yeah. Stewie, Stewie, Rain Carnegie, Chris Stewart, um, all them guys, they all played for me too in summer hockey. And yeah. I'll tell you, Stewie's a champ. I asked Stewie when he played for Kevin Robson, that team was stacked, by the way, just so you know, with Stewie, Carcillo, Brent Burns. That's yeah. another team that was unbelievable in the GT. Yeah. Kevin Robb was coaching them. Well, and Patrick Moro played with those guys. Yeah, the North York yeah, Canadians. Yeah, Patty right? played other, yeah with, with those yeah. guys. And, up uh, until Pee Wee. Up until Pee Wee and yeah, Pee Wee was the last year for Patty on right. North York Canadians. Right, so their draft year. So that's that team, that '85 team that Robbie Nacarado was yeah. on. And yeah. and just quickly, I want to mention David Chang too. David Chang yeah, was a partner. David Chang was another boy on my team, two defensemen that both passed away on that team. So, okay. you know, my Great thoughts to go out to always them yeah. guys and their families. Uh, but, my, uh, you know, Michael Angelitas played, the whole Angelitas has played for me, the whole damn family played for me. But Michael was funny, as Michael was like that kind of uh, Phil Esposito kind of guy. Could, he, had, he had hands of gold, he had feet of like a, a, like a bricklayer. Now, uh, that's a Scarborough. Family legendary yeah, family, yeah. though, right? Yeah, the, the legendary Scarborough hockey absolutely. family. <laughs> absolutely. So, so I'll never forget it. We're at North Toronto, and uh, and Owen Sound called me before the game and said, we're going to come and watch Michael Angelitas. What do you think? And I said, I'll tell you right now, I would draft a kid in a heartbeat. He said, yeah, he didn't skate very well. I said, well, you know what? You can teach him to skate. I said, the kid can put the puck in the net. I said, the kid's tougher than nails. And I said, he will be an unbelievable player. So near, near the end of the game, I'll never forget this. You got to ask Anthony Stewart about this. Stewie comes up and he's like right there. And I had known Stewie for a bit, right? And I don't, this isn't a proud moment. This is just a funny story that I'll tell. I can tell people now. I would have never told this story a long time ago. I said, hey, Stewie. And the linesman that was just gone to retrieve the puck. And he turned and goes, yeah. He goes, just what? I said, do you think that you could fight Angelitas so he could move up in the draft? <laughs> he looks right at Michael and he goes, you want to fight? And Michael goes, sure. So the linesman dropped the puck. They both flipped each other's helmets off. And I'm not kidding you. They beat the shit out of each other. Angelitas gets drafted in, uh, in, the, in the eighth round by Owen Sound. He ends up, he ends up captains of the Syracuse. Ends up, he called me right after he scored his first goal. He was playing on a line with a Cavalier. Yeah, and, uh, Tampa. And, and uh, uh and Martin St. St. Louis, he yeah. scored his first goal in Tampa with them. There's another kid, uh, you know, that really just he he fought through the system and made it and stuff like that. And just things like that. I mean, Stewie, um, 
I'll tell the story and I'll make myself look like a little bit of an ass because I didn't know Corey Perry at the time. And Corey Perry is like a phenomenal, he was a phenomenal hockey player in Peterborough. I didn't know him. I didn't see him, but I went into the war room and I'll never forget, you know, Dale Hunter, Mark Hunter, Lindsay Hofford, um, Rick Natras, Dave Gagne, they're all in there. And they had this old scout. I, I, if it doesn't, if I do recall, his name was John. John was adamant that they draft Corey Perry. Yeah. And we literally got like got in this heated argument. I'm like, that's bullshit. I said, we're drafting Anthony Stewart. Yeah. They said, we're not drafting Anthony Stewart. I said, we're drafting Anthony Stewart. I said, if you need somebody in this franchise right now that can step in and play in the OHL and make an impact, that's the kid. That's the kid yeah. we're drafting. I said, I know him personally. I said, he will scare the bejesus out of most kids. He can score. He's tough. He's from Scarborough. He'll never, ever tell you that he wants to go back home. Well, they drafted Corey Perry. Stewie went to Kingston. He had, a, he, had a, he had a good tilt with the NHL. Corey Perry, obviously. Yeah. Was he a good player? Yeah. He was pretty good, too. <laughs> so, yeah. But, I, I mean, I mean, Sherry, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I had a very similar similar experience but it was when because I played for the London Knights when Corey Perry was playing his underage 16 year old season right so I remember coming to training camp and I remember talking to Jimmy McKellar I don't know if you know Jimmy McKellar yeah, Joe, he, Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy used to be really heavy set man now he's in better shape than I am but anyway <laughs> so Jimmy was like the guy that was like him and Mark were drafting the players so I said to Jimmy I go Jimmy how come you guys didn't draft Anthony Stewart and he's like, whoa, you know, Anthony was high on our list. And, you know, but we're, you know, we're very happy with our selection with, with Corey Perry, Sean. You know what I mean? Because obviously you got to be yeah. proud of your first rounder. And obviously they made an incredible choice. If they had drafted Anthony Stewart or Corey Perry, it was a win-win situation, right? Both players ended up doing great. They were both incredible in junior. You know, obviously Anthony, you know, we got the experience of Team Canada and everything. So, I mean, either way, but I just remember thinking the same thing because, you know, a Stu's a, a good Scarborough boy that we knew was going to do well. We weren't sure about those Peterborough boys, but we knew the Scarborough boys would definitely do well, right? But yeah, man. So uh, I'm, I'm a little biased though, because you want to know why? I mean, I'm a little biased because I always want to fight for the underdog and I always want to fight for the guys from Scarborough. I mean, John Bowler is another huge advocate yeah. guy from the beaches. Johnny yeah. always wants the underdog to go. He's a really good hockey guy. And, you know, I guess just the fact is when you hang around all of us guys, when you, we get into a room, all of us, it's like just total like chaos. That's all it is. If you get some beers flowing and the hockey stories that flow and some of the memories we have, I mean, it, it just, it's just, it brings back such like just talking, you know, I start to remember all this stuff. Right. And uh, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's really great to conversate about the things. And it's great to see that the younger guys like you and all those guys are like starting to take over now and yeah. start to bring those conversations to the forefront where we're recognizing certain things that need to change and they yeah. need to change because I'm telling you this in an all serious note, not even funny. If they don't change the game of hockey is going to die. It's going to die. It really will because it can't, it can't survive. I'm not going to mention the guy's name because the guy's a complete wing nut, but I talked to somebody at the, a, a reporter and his kid plays in the GTHL. And I called him up and I said, hey, how'd you like to do an interview with me about minor hockey in the state that it's in right now? So I started talking to him and he went on to tell me, and this guy's coached, like his son's really young. I think the guy's coached two years. And uh, he said, oh, I've done a bunch of articles on, on you know, GTHL, the OMHA minor hockey. He said, there's, there's no issues in hockey. And I'm like, what do you mean there's no issues in hockey? He said, I, I, I've done it. I, I've done it all. I said, so you've done it all. I said, so what, you, you've been in the league 
what, two, three years, your kid just came out of select and because you've written about it, you know about it. I said, dude, I said, I've lived it. I've lived it. I, I, I don't talk about much unless I've lived it and I have the experience. And there is a huge disconnect in minor hockey, a huge disconnect and huge disconnect within our communities that we're not replenishing. Like where is house league going? Where are the select programs going? The things that we grew up with that made us better. Like with, there, it's great that there's a whole bunch of AAA players, but without any house league players, there's no AAA players. Without, exactly. without any select players or A players, like A and AA, one thing I learned, they are the forgotten people. They are really the forgotten people. It's all about AAA. And not to knock AAA because they have their niche too, and I totally get that the elite guys need to play against the elite guys. But what about the development? We're so concerned about winning all the time, and we're so concerned about, you know, well, if that guy doesn't win, then he's not a good coach. Well, how do you know that? How do you know that he's not a good coach? He just might not have the talent, but he's doing the best job that he can do with the players that he has. And, he has, and yeah. you know, so to me, wouldn't it be scary? I'm just going to throw this out there to you right now. Would it not be scary, A, if the GPHL completely revamped itself and said, we're going to go over to 16 AAA teams? People would say, well, that's crazy because there's not enough good hockey players around. You're right. There's not enough good hockey players around. But the league did grow from 8 to 10 to 12 teams. So why not add four more? It's going to be a little bit of uh, short-term pain, but long-term gain. And then instead of having 972,000 AA teams, have 16 AA teams. And then have 16 A teams, send everybody back to House League and select. And now all those A, AA, and AAA guys are all affiliated with each other, and you can call players up. Why do I want, how does my AA guy get a sniff at AAA? Because let's face it, you know as well as I know, the tryouts are a formality. The teams are already picked in December. Oh, I told you, remember the, remember the first thing I mentioned at the first top of the show? Yeah, tamper. Go out yeah. and tamper with guys. We yeah. know what goes on. Everyone knows it goes on. Everyone just turns a blind eye to it. But the fact is that if you actually had to coach your team and develop your team and hand in the season plan and do all that, and everybody was given the same amount of chess guys on the board, the same as them, we'd find out who the real good coaches are because now nobody has like, the Jason Picaros, the Jason Spezzas, you know, the Mike Camilleri's and all those guys of the world on one team. And then the other teams just kind of fend for everybody else. Yeah. The problem is we're, we're, fight, we're fighting all over the same players all the time. And everyone, so, we're, so when you start fighting with, about guys, what happens after? Well, so, okay, so what, what can we give this guy to get him to come over? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what can yeah. we get? How can we entice him to come over here? Like, yep. it's, it's not going to be your good looks anymore. It's going to be, okay, so can we pay for your registration? Can we buy a couple of sticks? Can we do this or that? You know, yeah. and that's the problem is that we're all chasing the same players and there's no equality in the game. And the problem is, is that I don't think that, the, and, and no offense to the GTHL, because I'm not upset with them, just that, that's their rules. I mean, yeah. uh, I did sit in a hearing one time and I did tell them I was a product of their own environment. And they kind yeah. of looked at me dumbfounded. I said, well, listen, I said, you want me to coach in this league. You guys are the ones who set the rules up, but the rules are all broken. You yeah. know, so how do, how, how do we fix this? How do we get kids from house league to select to A to double A to triple A? It's, it's impossible to do it right now because those kids, you want to talk about a kid not even getting a sniff at the community level. These kids that are double A guys that are pretty good, they're long forgotten about because they get labeled and they get pigeonholed. You know what I mean? Just like people yeah. in society get pigeonholed. Well, if you're a black guy and you live in Malvern, 
and you have pants that are a little bit baggy down your ass, then you have to be a criminal. Yeah. Because that's just what because that's what people watch on TV. Well, that's not yeah. true. Just because you like to wear your yeah. pants a certain style, and just because you're a brother, that doesn't mean that you're yeah. a criminal. I mean, exactly. just because you're a Jewish person, does that make you cheap? Yeah. No. It's just, people have all these misconceived notions about people, and really what they need to do is really take a look at what's going on and saying, wait a second, has anybody ever in this uh, province ever did a study on how many kids left? And this is true fact, Sean. My son's born in 1998. When he started in the minor Adam year, there was 14 teams in AA. By the time he left hockey in Bantam, there was 16. Where did those eight teams of players go to? You're talking about if there's, let's just say for the sake of things, eight times 20, that's 160 hockey players. Where did those hockey players go? They left. They left and they're either playing high school hockey, they're doing something else. They are not playing in our league anymore because the league is not conducive for them to play and because they're tired of being turned down. They're being tired of told there's not an opportunity there. You know what I mean? And then these guys, they get their kids on AAA teams, right? Because, yeah. because they got money. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Where another yeah. kid might not have enough money, but he's better than that kid. Or, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? And, and to me, that's just wrong too. Like there's just... And, and it's just not the GTHL. It's wrong everywhere. It's just wrong yeah. everywhere. It's, it's wrong everywhere. I'm not, I'm not slamming any of the leagues. I mean, and I know people are trying to do what's best for, their, best for their leagues, best for their organizations. But really, at the end of the day, I've been through the system. I know what the system's like. And the system does do a lot of great things. But the system also does a lot of not so great things. And I think, I don't know if it's repairable. Um, and that's why I don't, I can't say I'm going to try and save the world, but I mean, I, I just think about, uh, if, if hockey was like that, I'd make all the teams and have an affiliate, just like the NHL. That's the way these sports are. I mean, look at the sports in, in the U S all the high school sports. There's no, like, there's like no GTHL basketball team. There's no, no. GTHL football no, team. They all go to school. High school. Yeah. 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 It's all, it's, it's all high school and it's all about education. And to me, that's the most important thing. First off, I've told every player, I told you this, and I told every player, the first things first, if you're gonna if you're gonna play for Terry Durant, then what's the first thing that comes to your mind that's the most important thing to you? And that's your damn family. Your family. Yeah. What's the yeah. second most important thing? Your that's education. Cool. Yeah. Education. And then whatever you do after that, I don't care whether it's hockey, whether it's ping pong or whatever it is, just do it well. Do it well and Try your best at it to be to go to the highest level that you can be. But if you don't have those first two things, then you can't be a part of our hockey family because you don't understand what family and education is about. And that's why when I went to the University of Michigan, and here I'm talking to you, I'm a dropout from Ryerson, and I regretted every day that I didn't get a university degree, that education means so much. And people, yeah. people are more worried about whether their kid's going to play on the Marlies than what school he's going to go to and who's school yeah. teacher is, you know? Yeah. And, or how can we get out of school? And, and, you know, I mean, there is a point where we have to understand that there's education and there's athletics and we have to mix that together. And, you know, I think the OHL changed their tune a lot and they, they've stepped up their game for education for players and stuff like that. And, you know, because they're trying to compete with the NCAA and, uh, you know, I'll tell you, you don't see too many dumb guys playing in the NHL. A lot of those guys are very well-spoken. They're very well-educated and, yeah. you know, because... What do you do? I mean, you can't have a you can't have a grade six education, but make you know seven point six million dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And like you said, you give guys options. You talk to kids in Scarborough and say, listen, this is if we got two choices for you, dude. 
either you can, and don't get me wrong, I'm not slamming anybody too, because listen, once in a while I buy a coffee from Tim Hortons at McDonald's, but either you want to work at McDonald's or you want to be an NHL hockey player. You yeah. can be either one, but are you like you did? Okay, Sean, what do you, Sean, I'm telling you right now, if you want to make the NHL, you're going to have to fight your way. Are you willing to fight your way there? You told me, yeah, I, I'm going to fight everybody I can. Okay, so that's why you made the NHL. But don't tell me that you, uh, I, you know how many guys I know that should have played? Yeah, oh yeah. I know a lot of those guys. The if they made hockey on. cards, I'd, I'd have a stack of hockey cards in my house yeah. guys that should have played in the NHL. I should have played too, right? The problem is I was too lazy. And the one reason why I became a coach was because I was tired of being yelled at. I thought I'd yell at somebody else for a change, right? Yeah, it's like... It's like, I don't know how much I want to take this anymore, right? Being like, I, I in the right spot. So it's funny how uh, things work out. And I think what's meant to be is meant to be. We all know guys that should have played or could have played. And, yeah, some guys do get injured. Some guys do get this. But for the majority, if you did not make it as a hockey player, face the facts. Like if it, and I'm not talking about you because yeah. you, you made it. But guys who belly ache and they say, ah, oh, you know, I got over. Listen, if you didn't make it, there's one reason why you didn't make it. And that's because you weren't any fucking good. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. You just weren't good. Or it wasn't your time or whatever it is. But if guys like Michael Camilleri can play that many years in, in the NHL and be 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and play yeah. and all those other guys and take a beating every night, then to me, listen, either, hey, I'll admit it myself, I'll be the first one to own up to it. I just didn't have enough courage to play and I just didn't, wasn't good enough to play and, you know, so I thought I would become a coach. And uh, so, you know, I mean, Wayne Gretzky, it's not like Wayne Gretzky's a bodybuilder. He no. just, his, his, his mind was just so much better than everybody else's and he had a lot of good guys to play. And it's all about timing too. All about timing, yeah. I think, for guys. And let's face it, were there a lot of guys back then that probably could have played now because of the game has changed? Yeah. You know like yourself. And, what about yourself? Right. What did they tell you, Carrie, when you had that exit meeting from the Boston Bruins tryout camp? I remember you telling me when I was 13, what did they tell you in that meeting of why you were getting cut? Well, it was just, it wasn't so much getting cut. It was one of those, uh, I want to make sure that we have this straight. So no one thinks that I'm building a story here. I mean, I was reading the hockey news and the hockey news says that you go to a free agent camp. And so you had to pay for yourself to go. So I called up Joe Lyons, who was the head scout of the Boston Bruins. Tell me, I said, I'd like to come to your camp. So he invited me. I went and uh, paid and went, I got put on the team. And uh, Peter Lavoyette was, uh, was my coach for the whole camp. Coach of the, you know, on the yeah. NHL, great guy. Yeah. I think he was a defenseman on Binghamton at the time. Um, okay. The Hanson brothers were there. Nick Fatillo was there, the tough guy from the Rangers. Yeah. They're all there. And uh, I actually, through the camp, all NHL teams came and they could pick guys as free agents. And that's yeah. why it was called the free agent camp. So I got picked by uh, Los Angeles. They wanted to send me to Roanoke Valley. And, uh, you know, I never showed, I never went to camp. And the next day I read in the Toronto Sun that I was suspended for not, for not showing the camp. And it's because yeah. a guy from the Toronto Red Wings came to me and offered me a job. I was, I had just met Karen and I was getting, I was going to get married to her. She was from Detroit. She was moving. And, um, you know, I just decided to myself at that time that I just wasn't going to be a hockey player. And so I started coaching for, uh, the Toronto Red Wings, uh, you know, for Jack Harper and, uh, Jack Harper is another guy that I don't know, like I could talk about him for 10 hours, such a great man treated me so, so good. 
And that was the 1981 age group when they were nine years old. Michael Renzi played for us and Judd Muldaver and our, our, like the team was phenomenal. And I had coached a bit before that, but then I really got into coaching and that's when I realized that I want to be a hockey coach. Um, the problem was I was just too energetic and too hyped up about coaching. I was, thought I was still playing. And I think I know some people thought, like, who in the hell is this guy? This guy's crazy. Um, you know, but I was all there. I remember taking Judd after going to uh, Detroit. They, they had that. They, now they have the, the Detroit Extravaganza. That's the big tournament that you would go down there. You'd get to play a game at Joe Louis Arena. Yeah. And then you would watch the Red Wings play. So Federoff yeah. and Brett Hall were both rookies. And we were there. And the Frazier Falcons won the state championship the year before. And they called Jack Harper because he had ties with the Detroit Red Wings. And said, and said, can you bring your nine-year-old team down here? Our guys want to play them. It's a friendly game. We'll set you up with tickets after the whole nine yards and stuff like that. And Jack came to us and said, yeah, like, you guys want to go. We're like, yeah. But they're the state champions. Their coach calls Tony Whitley, who's our coach, and says, listen, we're inviting you guys down. We won the state championship. Like, our team is unreal. Like, unreal. And... We don't want to embarrass you guys. <clears throat> we'll take it easy on you. Well, after two periods, it was like 19-1 for us. Yeah. Judd Maldaver, Judd Maldaver was like Mike Camilleri when he was younger. He yeah. was like he was like 50-year-old guy living in a nine-year-old kid's body with a brain. We had Michael yeah. Renzi and all them guys. I mean, we absolutely slapped them. They were stunned. Kids on our team were tripping kids just so they could go to the penalty box because they had the actual announcer from the hockey game there. And we watched Hall as a rookie Fedorov. And after the wow. game, I remember we're all going to go back to the hotel and I grabbed Maldaver. He wore 19 and he wore his Toronto Red Wings shirt. Like he was so yeah. proud of it. And yeah. I, and I, I said to his dad, his dad was a lawyer. I said, I said, where do you guys think you're going? I said, we're going back to the hotel. I said, no, we're not. I said, we're going around the back of the rink. I'm taking your kid and Steve Eiserman is going to sign a sweater. And they yeah, had all yeah. these people out there waiting for Steve Eiserman to come out and, he comes out and people, I like basically elbowed about like four people in the head to get by everybody. And I looked right at him. I said, Steve, I said, could you do me a favor? And I pointed back and I said, that's the captain of our hockey team right now. There he's wearing number 19, the Red Wings, and he idolizes you. I said, he might even be as good as you two on the level that he's on, right? Yeah, And buddy. Steve Eisenman, to his credit, great guy, marched right through everybody, got down on uh, one knee, talked to talked to talked to him and just, uh, yeah. you know, talked to Judd and signed his jersey and that made him like over the, he was over the top after that. So a great experience, but uh, yeah, you, there's so many things you can talk about in the hockey, the experiences that you have. And there's so many great things that the NHL guys have done for kids. And I mean, that's even for you too. I mean, playing in the NHL and even the American Hockey League, I'm sure there's lots of kids that would love to talk to you about, you know, the things that you've done the path that you had to take, the trials and tribulations that you had to go through and that. I mean, yeah. I, you've, you've got a million dollars worth of advice for any hockey player that's going to play and not just play like in the NHL. Like to play in the American Hockey League, when you get to the NHL, they've got that pecking order, right? You only fight certain guys. You don't do things with certain guys. And in the, in the AHL, I'm pretty sure it's like, I'm kicking the crap out of anybody who gets in my way because I just want to make it to the, to, to the show. That's all I want to do. So I don't care what's going on. Right? The players are definitely hungrier in the American League because they're trying to get to that spot. The only problem is when you get to the NHL, like you said before earlier in the show, it's the hardest thing to stay in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because everyone's trying to get there. 
So, Carrie, like, like honestly, buddy, like, it's, it's. I feel blessed being able to chat like this. People don't get to hear this kind of stuff. This is very exclusive stuff, brother. Very exclusive stuff. The problem is, is that the characters that I have on my show are so strong that I always have to cut them off and ask them if they come for a part two, like I'm just about to do with you. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie Durant, are you willing to come back for a part two? There's more things that we do have to cover, okay? And to be honest with you, bro, we both have had experiences in the SHA, the Scarborough Hockey Association. I don't even know if yeah. it still exists, but that used to no, be it doesn't. It's gone now. Stone between House League and either single A, double A, AA, or triple A. I really like the idea you have about the affiliations with each with each level. I find that you're right. That is the only way that a player from a, a lower level is going to get that opportunity. I really like that. I like that talking point. I want to talk about that again in part two because I think I think you might have something there, my friend. Now, with this Scarborough history of hockey, now the people understand how much history and how deep these players go from the east end of Toronto onto the NHL. I'm going to reach out to a couple of people that we are both very close with, the Stewart brothers, Joel Ward, other people that we've mentioned on the show. There's going to be a new SHA. It's going to be the Scarborough Hockey Alliance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that we need to develop a group for the east end of Toronto. We are history rich in hockey over here, and we have the star power to get some attention to get things done that we really want to get done. I think that the group of guys that we've discussed with on the show, that we're the guys that can get it done. So that's something that I'm going to work on, my friend, inspired by you during this show. It's amazing how things come up, you know, in the heat of the moment. And that's one thing that I just thought of right now, the SHA, something that I played with, with Scarborough Malvern, SHA. It's now going to be the Scarborough Hockey Alliance. Just like the HDA, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, along those lines, man, we're trying to do things for the better good over here. So, Carrie, this has been an action-packed episode. This has probably been, you know, our longest episode, too. But, man, there wasn't one dull moment. It was incredible. I know the listeners were still on the edge of their seat. They're probably like, no, man, no, why are you cutting this off? But <laughs> we got to do it only because it is so good, Carrie, that we got to end it while it's good. So I want to thank you again, buddy, for coming on. I can't believe the things that we were able to get into. I am so happy about it. Again, the listeners are probably just in awe of what they were able to learn today about me, about yourself, and just about the East End of Toronto in general with the hockey history. I I think it's incredible, man. So, man, I want to thank the listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Share with special guest, Carrie Durant. And, buddy, I want to thank you again for coming on, brother. Uh, uh, Sean, I thank you for the opportunity. It's always great to talk hockey and always great to talk to you because, as you know, how tight we are as people. And you and I spent a lot of time together and obviously been through a lot of stuff together. Um, the one thing I will say to anybody when you're in the hockey rink or you're out in the street anywhere, you take a look at somebody, take, don't try and look at them for what they look like. There's a person inside there, and we've all talked about, you know, literally helping people out. You don't know whether they're going through mental health issues. You don't know what their home life is like. You don't know what they're all about. So instead of guessing about them, I know we can't get to know everybody, but take, take some time to get to know some people because you'll be surprised of who your next best friend is going to be. And, uh, you know, 
I just, this is a great opportunity for us to get another message out and uh, just peace to all my brothers out there who put their time in at Seaside Hockey and do all those other things. I love you guys. And Sean, I love you for doing this show because I think it's going to open up a lot of people's eyes. And to uh, all the all my hockey buddies out there and stuff like that, uh, thank you very much. And I look forward to doing a, a second show and maybe oh, a yeah, third buddy. show. Maybe Happy. maybe we can just do this once a month and stuff like that. And, but you know what? We have to do one thing one time. We have to see if we can do this in the in the middle of a lake one time. Have a podcast on the boat while we're catching fish. <laughs> I'll, so I'm so. lucky enough to get on this on on this Carrie D the fishing guy oh, show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, when that's I start doing podcasts, you're going to be my first guest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I all appreciate right. it. So, Kerry, I, I want to thank you again. I'm going to sign off right now. Thanks for all the listeners. Join us next time, guys. Woo!